I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect. No honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. American dream. He's just a common man. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to June of 1995 for Volume 1 of this month's show. This is our WCW show. Volume 2 is WWF, looking at King of the Ring. And Volume 3 is ECW. On this part, I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. Evening, Bob. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. And a, a debut for Tom Martin. Tom, hello. Hello, Bob. How are you, sir? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, Tom, kicks off with the news. WCW will be launching a brand new television program on this fall on TNT every Monday night, running directly against WWF's Monday Night Raw. While specific details are fluid at the moment, reports say a meeting between Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff ended with the green lights for Bischoff to get the ball rolling for the new show. It's said that Turner asked Bischoff why Raw was doing better ratings than WCW Saturday night. Bischoff responded by saying Raw being on a Monday night was a far better time slot. WCW's first pay-per-view of 1995 without Hulk Hogan produced probably their best paid effort of 1995. While Ric Flair and Randy Savage delivered the kind of quality many expected them to, the major surprise of the show was an excellent opening match between Alex Wright and Flying Brian Pillman. Elsewhere on the card, the Renegade defeated Arn Anderson to win the television title, and Sting defeated Meng in the final of the US title tournament match. The show itself was subject to some quite late changes due to, of all things, match results being leaked in a local newspaper by reporter Alex Marvez. While it seems like Marvez's article was less about inside information and more about educated guesses and knowledge of TV spoilers, clearly it got too close for WCW's liking and they changed a couple of match finishes. One of those finishes was the main event, which Marvez had predicted Flair would win by interference rather than with a weapon. The match was changed although some are fancifully predicting that Flair leaked the result, so he had a reason to change the finish. While Hulk Hogan was in Dayton, Ohio, for the pay-per-view, he only appeared on the WCW main event pre-game show. The reason for this being that Hogan's pay-per-view fee is astronomical and the company thought better of it. But Hogan was involved in a big way to promote his match against Vader. 
While the main event at Bash of the Beach next month, WCW perhaps rode a bit too close to the wind, implying that the main event, uh, as main event went off air, that Hogan vs. Vader could actually take place the same night on the Great American Bash show, as a way of tricking people into buying the show late on. Interesting, however, was that WCW filmed Hogan leaving the arena during the Flair Savage main event. That segment did not air, but some people believe the footage might be used at a later date during a feud between Hogan and Randy Savage. Vince McMahon did a rare media appearance with Chet Kopak of New Sports and discussed a number of topics, including WCW's new Monday TV show and Hulk Hogan. On the Monday night competition, McMahon called it a very poor move on Turner's part. He said he didn't know how, quote, Ted Turner would be viewed in corporate America as taking on this one family-owned enterprise that has established a vehicle on the USA network. He said that the move would simply prove who has the better product. On Hogan, McMahon said, WCW have no idea how to package and merchandise Hulk Hogan. On being asked whether Hogan could turn heel, Vince said, given his lack of success in WCW, that might be a likely move. And for the rest of this month's WCW news, firstly we have a fantastically confusing situation with the WCW tag team titles, which has seen the team of Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck be taped winning the WCW tag titles off of Harlem Heat. The observant amongst you will notice that every stage during this month, the Nasty Boys are actually the tag team champions. We will try and explain that one further in a bit. Gordon Soli has quit WCW less than a month after being inducted into their Hall of Fame. It's said that Soli felt it was insulting to lend his credibility to the WCW current product. Brian Pillman made news in Cincinnati after being arrested on a DUI and drugs possession charge. The possession charge was quickly dropped, but Pillman has a court date set later uh, for the DUI in August. It's not thought this will affect his standing in the company, although Hollywood blonde partner Steve Austin has injured his bicep, which could delay them reuniting. And in one of the best and final leagues you're going to hear for a long while, Marcus Alexander Bagwell missed the PPV and is out indefinitely after suffering an infection, staying from complications from cosmetic calf implants. Yes, that is actually true. Right, folks, here on Saturday night, I want to bring in Diamond Dallas Page and his entourage, including the Diamond Doll and hey, Max Muscle. Quick, I want the bunny boy out here right now. Hold it. Dave Sullivan is not available right I now. I want that idiot Dave Sullivan out here right now. He's back in the locker room conducting some other business. Leave Sullivan alone. Here he comes right now. Dave Sullivan, Dave Sullivan with the rabbit. Hey, listen to me. I don't want you. Talking to her, looking at her, sending her presents, gifts, nothing. You got it? You can't talk to me like that. I mean, I can't talk to you like that. I'm telling you, I don't want you near her. You got it? You never are messing me. I still want to go to King Lion. To the Lion King. And don't scream. It scares the rabbit. Forget the rabbit. I don't care about the rabbit. What do you mean? The, you want to go see the King Lion? The Lion King. The Lion King. Now he's got me to talk like him. Okay, let me slow this down a little bit. You want to get yourself a date with a diamond doll? Here's a guy who can't get a date off a calendar, wants to take out the diamond doll. What do you got to put up now? What, what do you got to put up? Pull a little out of your hip pocket. You've hung on to your money. You've got a very impressive portfolio, Dave. You can put a few bucks on the line. I don't think so. This is what I think. Put up the little white man. How's that? Come on, Paige. No, 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 no. the diamond doll. It's a present from the Diamond Doll. What? I heard what? It's a present from the Diamond Doll. I don't know who's here. Here's the deal. 
You want to date with a diamond doll? I want the little furry creature on the line. Plus, if you lose, you can't be within five miles of a diamond doll. Look at her, talk to her, nothing. Wait a minute, is that a challenge from you? Diamond yeah, Dallas right Page? You hear what he says? American Bash. He says he will arm wrestle you at the Great American Bash. That's it, right? Arm you wrestling. You got yes, it. you have to put the rabbit up. He'll put up the diamond. You think so? What does Ralph say? Are you sure about that? That's it's okay. I'm going to vote for him for Matchmaker of the Year. Thank you very much. Dave Sullivan says yes. He will meet Diamond Dallas Page in an arm wrestling match one week from tomorrow night on pay-per-view. I don't know if that one's going to fly. While the full details of this story are yet to be fully released, it was made public this month that WCW will be launching a new television program on Monday nights at some point in the coming months, now expected to be at the beginning of September. The kicker to this, of course, is that the show will run on the same night as WWF's Monday Night Raw and in the same time slot on the East Coast. There's even talks of WCW calling their new show Head to Head. The significance of the September date? It will be a week where Raw will not air. The story breaks after a meeting between Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner. Discussions turn to why WWF's flagship show Raw was outdrawing WCW's flagship show Saturday Night in the ratings. Bischoff's answer was that the Monday night time slot was better. Turner responded by greenlighting the new programme that will air on TNT rather than TBS. It said that Turner was angered by letters sent by Vince McMahon earlier in the year claiming that WCW was an embarrassment to the Turner name. Beyond that, the actual news surrounding this story is actually fairly thin on the ground. It's not believed that this show will be replacing any of WCW's existing television shows, so it's an extra commitment to WCW's roster at a time where they seem to be looking to cut costs rather than increase them. That being said, a new show would bring in extra budget to pay for new talent, and many of the names you will have heard us discuss on recent ECW shows have been linked, including Eddie Guerrero, Al Snow, Sabu and Tommy Dreamer. What will be different, however, is that this will not be another centre stage job. Currently, WCW TV is taped in hideously complicated blocks. One situation has seen the team of Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Book defeat Harlem Heat for the tag titles at recent tapings. The observant amongst you will remember that the Heat aren't currently the tag champions. The story actually gets even more complicated. A WCW Worldwide match that was taped at the beginning of May between Harlem Heat and the Nasty Boys aired before the 24th of June episode of WCW Saturday Night. At the time the match was taped, the Heat were still champions, but the match, and commentary, that was filmed on top of it actually involved them winning the titles back from the Nasty Boys. That would at least make sense, but what didn't was the main event of the 24th of June Saturday Night, where the Heat lost to Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. They weren't announced as champions on the show. At the time of recording, you can probably consider the Nasties, the Heat and Book and Slater tag champions. The new WCW show will likely follow a similar format to Raw currently, airing live one week and taping one or possibly two shows the same evening. It's said that these will be arena tapings, so mercifully will be free of pumped-in crowd noise. It's said they want the show to have a different feel, with the company exploring many different options on who could present it. And we can welcome Chris back into the show. We, we, we're not actually going to start with the, the, uh, the pay-per-view review. We're actually going to put that in the second bit of the show. So if you want to skip forward to that, I will make note of, uh, of that in the, uh, in the chapter times in the description for the show. Uh, but we're going to start with, uh, Chris, this, this massive story. We, we've just heard a, um, 
an audio report, so we don't need to go through the the, the facts or the information that we've that we know. Um, but going against Monday Night Raw, Chris, what do you think? Ballsy, it's definitely a ballsy idea. Um, having watched um, the WCW TV. It's very, at the minute, it's very much like, if you were going to do it as an equivalent, it's very much like WF Superstars, where it is, guy faces Jobber, kills them in a few minutes, on to the next one. If they're going to go into a TV, weekly TV show against Raw, they're going to need to start sort of changing up what they're doing, and they're probably going to need to make sure that a certain... Uh, person in red and yellow has a new contract that means he has to turn up for TV. Yeah, I think that that's... We'll come on to the, the Hogan issue in a bit, but um, I, I think to a point, Chris, I mean, you, know, you, you haven't watched the, the, the volume or the detail of, of uh, WCW shows that I have in the last 12 months. Their TV has got significantly better this year uh in terms of they have been a bit better not just doing squash match promo squash match promo squash match promo main event with a dodgy finish they have been a bit better with that this year they have been incorporating some more you know pre-packaged stuff some stuff from outside and center stage and some better stories and some more competitive matches but yes you are right it is still a bit dry um tom your your, your overall thoughts on the story as we know so far yeah, I, th- I think from a, a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. You can see, uh, you can imagine, if it, for anyone that works in WCW, you could look at the success that WWF are having from their Monday night weekly product. Um, but I would agree with Chris on a number of the points that he made in, in the, uh, that they would have to change the way that, not only the way that they uh, present it to, to differ from other WCW um, presentations, but also to differ from Monday Night Raw, because otherwise there'd be no reason for the loyal WWF fan base to actually switch over. Um, so for me, there needs to be a long-term plan as to how they would um, map it out, you know, and who would be the key guys involved. And as, as, as you guys obviously mentioned, um, the, the red and yellow it may, may or could very well prove to be the curse of that. Um, but I think it, it, it makes a hell of a lot of business sense. But there's a lot of things that could quite easily uh, go wrong with it. So it's going to be an interesting one to, to follow. Does it make a lot of business sense, though? I mean, going up against Raw is a very brave move, and Raw's doing some really good numbers right now, record numbers, actually, I should say, um, relative to to, to, um, its lifespan over the last two years. But, Tom, is is going up against another wrestling program a great idea? If if you can't, you know, because we've had stuff from Bischoff in recent months and we've got quotes attributed to Vince McMahon this month that we'll we'll hear later in the show. You know, they they both think they've got by far the better product. And to a point, you're going to say that in public. Um, But if WCW go up against Raw on a Monday night and the ratings aren't very good, yeah, you know, they're, they're they're not going to go out of business. You know, they're owned by TBS, Deb Turner, all that. But is, isn't it a negative move if they go up against Raw and it, and it sinks ratings-wise? I think yeah, it could go one of two ways. It, it, it could either be one of the best moves uh, the WCW ever make, or it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, I, I think there's obviously um, everyone knows that WWF have got a stronghold on, on the pro wrestling market in, in North America and in the, in the world, really, in terms of worldwide publicity. And I think if WCW are trying to really make their stamp and make themselves, uh, make people believe that they are as good as, if not better than WWF, it's a, it's a statement of intent. 
Um, and I think uh, if they didn't do something along, along the lines of this and, and they presented it on a Tuesday, um, it could go the same way because WWF fans wouldn't switch over and uh, they would have no reason to tune in on Tuesday night. So I personally think it's a, it's a bold move. It's a risky move, a hell of a risky move. But I think it's one that could pay off dividends. I, I think if you look forward and, and, and you, you think, what did WWF, um, what, when they first started, that was a risky move for them because, you know, week, weekly, weekly products, live products, is it going to work? I think WCW, I think, I think there's more pros than there are cons in this for me at this stage. Yeah, no, no I'd, I'd say that's a fair assessment. I mean, it, we don't know the answer to this question, but it really does depend on how much crossover audience there is between, you know, how many people do watch both. And, and I'm not sure there's an easy answer to that. Um, but I think that's a, that's an important thing. I mean, Chris, you, you, you touched on it, but we, we might as well move to, to, to Hulk Hogan and all of this. Um, I mean, to, to illustrate Hogan's kind of current TV setup, I mean, also, you know, WCW do take up a lot of TV in bulk and Hogan, is the kind of guy that will appear on a lot of shows, but generally via pre-taped interviews. Sometimes they'll go out and meet him in Florida and do some new stuff if they need him to do that. They did that uh, on one of the shows this month as well, down by the beach. Um, but how is it going to work if they're going to try and present a, a dynamic, you know, because we're going to try and present a dynamic live or live-ish product, i.e. a bit like Raw, live and then live to tape one or two weeks. Um, how is that going to work if, if Hogan says, well, I'll come in, but you're going to have to pay me a lot more money. If they can't afford him, how do they get around that? That is the big question. Seeing in fact, there were stories earlier in the earlier in the year that they were trying to cut money and save some money. If they're, if they're trying to make a dynamic product that's going to be different, and if they do decide they want it live, are they going to have it out of the same place every week? Are they, is this that, that did not ring? work well for Raw, it should be said. That, the, the, the whole thing of trying to get it in, you know, not say the life part, but coming out of the Manhattan Center every week, they had to move out of there quite quickly just because they couldn't get the fans in the building after a while. Um, this, this thing at the minute is cheap for them to do it because they do it all out of center stage when they do Saturday night. You know, they fly them in, they do their, what, three or four weeks worth of taping at a time if they're doing their taping in bulk. You've only got to get people in for one night. It's cheap. If they're going to start and, and even then, Hogan's not on that many shows. That's the weird thing. I, I get the sense he might be being paid by appearance. So I don't think it's a, it's a logistical point in that I'm sure that if Hogan was getting paid the money, he'd quite happily come in once a month and do TV. Um, but I don't think that's part of the deal. See, this is the thing. If they're going to, if they're saying that it's going to be live every week and if they do decide to tour it, they're going to have to have the big names at every show, every place they go, because they're going to need the big names to get the people in. I can't see Hulk doing it for for chump change. He's going to want a decent hike in his money. Is I know I know Ted's got a lot of money sitting behind him in a massive corporation that he can just pilfer from, and you know he sees wrestling for what it is and just throws money at it. Is he really going to throw that much at it? Yeah, I mean, all of the evidence suggests... Well, I say, as you mentioned, Chris, a couple of minutes ago, all of the stories you've heard this month is that WCW needs to save money this year, not spend more. Um, now, obviously, you know, a new time slot will have 
more money put into it. I mean, it's not really about a profit and loss thing. The, the, the TV stations own the company. So it's not like it's a matter of they're getting paid X by an external party. There are the money will come in for this. It will have to. Um, but it's just how much, um, and, and how, and, you know, and I guess we're getting into boring stuff about ad revenues and things like that and ratings, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Hogan situation is fascinating because I don't know that there's an easy answer um, in the sense that one thing that evidence has shown us over the past 12 months is that Hogan hasn't really been a massive driver of TV ratings. Now, all right, the exception being the Clash of Champions last August where him and Flair smashed all kinds of records in the... In live TV wrestling viewership. Other than that, Hogan week to week on TV hasn't been a the, the the magic you know the magic bullet that I think people have expected him to be. And it's it's going to be tricky. And, and and Tom, there's the other point as well, which is even if WCW could afford him, or even if Ted Turner said, "Look, you need to get this thing off the ground. We need to be able to pay him in every week." Doesn't having Hulk Hogan on every show make Hulk Hogan less valuable? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. It's, it's like anything. The, uh, for, for, a, for a star attraction, for a main event, the less you see of it and the more that builds to it, the better. And um, Hulk Hogan is no stranger to the pro wrestling world. And every, everyone knows him. Everyone knows his shtick. Everyone knows the leg drop. And I don't think that seeing him on a weekly basis, uh, even if he is fighting different guys every week uh, and, and 99% of the time beating those guys, um, I don't think that is any type of strategic uh, business case. So Hulk Hogan is uh, you, you could there could be an argue, argument could be made to say that Hulk Hogan is the most important element of WCW's future. It's certainly when it comes to this weekly uh, TV product, because, as you say, if you include too much of him, it comes oversaturated and people switch off. If you don't have enough of him, people could say, where's Hulk Hogan? So it's a very, very fine balance that you need to strike, and uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how they manage it. Just saying that, obviously, you don't have to have him wrestle every week, though. But oh, no. I do think he needs to be in front of the live audience. Because I think, I think he can yeah. come out and do just... You could do him all month. He doesn't have a match for the month, but he's there in person in the ring cutting a promo. Well, wouldn't that get really pr- comp- uh, repetitive, though? But you're, you've got butts in seats going, Hogan is here. That, that well, well, I guess we're also then leading on to how exactly the TV taping is going to work. If they're going to take three shows in one night, I don't know that... Well, I suppose to a point, if they're going to take three shows in one night, Hogan actually only has to appear once. You've got the guys in the arena at that point. You don't need to do yeah. it again. Um, but yeah, that, so we're getting into to, to minute points. But, but I think he is a, a very important part of this discussion in the sense that, as I say, even if you can get him there... I don't know what you, you know, what you do with it, but m- moving, moving away from, from him slightly, I mean, as, as uh, build up to, to this month's show, I, I, I put Chris and Tom through by far the most, like, in-depth amount of preparation we, we've ever had to do for a show, so thank you to them both for that. Uh, including watching about three, four hours of WCW television, one of which was, was main event prior to the pay-per-view, and also I wanted them to get a, a, a more than average feel of WCW television by watching a few shows. Um, Chris, I, I guess, in brief, what were your thoughts on it? And, and I know you did touch on that a little bit earlier. And secondly, this cannot be the same show. For, for a start, it's not going to be in centre stage, but I think you're right in terms of it can't just be squash match promo, squash match promo. How can they put together a show for this kind of time slot? 
And is it going to be a very similar kind of show to Monday Night Raw? I think if a way of doing it is you need to find a sort of balance and take what they have on what in theory is their flagship show is the 605 broadcast because it's been the NWA show before they turned it into WCW for years. That time slot on a Saturday. They've lessened what they've had there so they need to do this new product. They need to sort of look back at what they were doing in the glory days of their Saturday night shows, which was you would get different matches. Yes, you'd still get your squashes, but you would get competitive matches between people that don't normally go against each other. So you're not burning through the matches that you're trying to build for pay-per-views, but at the same time, you're not just seeing guy A destroy a jobber, guy B destroy a jobber, and getting promos. And the thing is, you can you can do it. You just have two main event matches as such, where you have wrestler A versus wrestler B, who are both named wrestlers, and give people different things to watch each week to make them come back and watch it. Tom, same question? Yeah, I mean, having watched uh, the fairly insane amount that, that you, you forced us to watch um, this month, I, I, I think that... Um, Paychecks in the post, boys. It's fine. <laughs> First class, I hope. Uh, so so I think that the product is good. I think that the, the talent is, is there. Um, I, I think that, the as, as you've already touched on, the squash match promo format quickly runs dry. Um, I, li- I like some of the things that they're interjecting, like some 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 well, some, some rather crazy promos, which we'll, we'll go into later, I'm sure. But there are some stories being interjected that, that actually give you a reason to tune in next week. And the problem with the, the format as it stands is that if you miss a week of, of Saturday night, there's no reason to, to, to think that you've got to go back and watch it or get a copy of it rather than just watching next week's. Because um, there needs to be a sequential story and a reason for you to tune in other than I fancy watching some wrestling. And it's lacking that at the moment. And I think that'll be the key element um, that need that will need to work well with their Monday night product to, to challenge Raw. Because um, the storytelling as it stands is very, very um, self-contained. And uh, it, do, it, it doesn't, uh, as a viewer, you, you're not, you're not cho- you know, chomping at the bit for the next episode. Um, so uh, it, it needs to change. Yeah, I, I think they can learn a lot from Monday Night Raw. I don't know whether they'll want to, and I don't know whether, you know, if Eric Bischoff is as, is as confident privately as he is publicly about how much better their product is, I, I don't know whether they'll want to. Um, but in terms of, you know, for, for, as I say, as I come back to earlier, Raw right now is doing really good ratings. It's doing record numbers. And I think the catalyst for that has been, one, they're moving away. They're still doing squash matches, but I think, whereas last year it was kind of four squash matches and one quote-unquote marquee match, now it's more kind of two or three squashes, maybe another non-wrestling segment versus last year, and then two marquee matches. They've they've created a better reason to tune in because there's no reason to watch squash matches. It's just it's just part of the show. But you know, unless, unless it's unless you're doing one, two, three, getting against Razor Ramon, which really you can only do once every I don't know four or five years. Now squash matches aren't particularly entertaining. They're just there. They're just an accepted part of the show. The thing that's going to get people tuning in is I actually want to see X versus Y, and they both have to be names of guys who 
are, uh, are people that the audience recognises. And one thing Raw's done really well is that they've managed to create a consistently week-to-week arc. And one thing WCW don't really do particularly well at the moment is they don't full promote very well. They've got better these days at promoting within a two-hour time slot, or as we've seen a fair few times, originally a one-hour time slot uh, where Saturday night's concerned. But they need to get better at saying, this is what's coming up next week. And I think that's key. And one thing Raw's doing very well is they full promote quite well. And so you you give people a reason, I've got to come back next week. And if you give them that three or four weeks in a row and they start to become habitual viewers, you, you're, you're 80% of the way there. Um, so I think that's what they've got to learn to do better. And it, it will be far easier not having to do this and that's this is the thing we'll come on to in part as well is their tv format right now I t- we've touched on it in the in, in in the recap before we start this discussion tv format right now is we're going to do you know if it's worldwide they take four times a year and they take three months at a time now, admittedly worldwide these days they couldn't give a toss about they just take matches apparently they're not even taping in order now they'll just tape a load of matches and then stitch it together later um saturday night is a bit better uh, they generally tape you know once every two every three weeks it sometimes can get a bit out of order um but that's fine um but tom i think the the, the other really big part of all this and having watched WCW for the last two years, I can put my hand up and say, thank God, they're not going to be taping this at centre stage, which is huge, because we're finally going to get genuine WCW audience reactions, we think. Um, I suppose you can you can doctor the audience on tour, but it'll be a lot more difficult. We're finally going to get genuine reaction from WCW fans, which is far better than what they have now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and it's something that we haven't seen before from WCW, so it'll be a very interesting um, thing to see. I mean, there are obviously hot spots around uh, the world where the most the hottest wrestling crowds are, and it'll be interesting to see how WCW handle it. Do do they put the better shows on at the uh, for the hotter crowds, or do they uh, put put on the show they planned regardless of where they are? Um, so it, I, I think yeah, it's going to be very telling times for the next six months in WCW. Chris, same question. Pretty much have to agree with what Tom's just said there. You know, um, are, are they going to mix it up for where they go? You know, because obviously WCW stronger in the South. You know, if they're in Greensboro or in New Orleans or something like that, are they going to put on the the bigger cards than say if they're in some sort of tiny little Midwest town that they don't really go to that often or are they just going to sort of stick with what they what they know? Um, I suppose that that all goes to very much who's behind the state, who's behind the stage, and sort of going. This is the direction we're pushing the company in, and this is what we want to do. Until we have a sort of definite idea of how how they're going to look into it, and even what sort of a format the show's going to be, it leaves us a lot to ponder until. We have any details? Because obviously, with it being the fall, we're looking at at least two or three months before we'll probably have any true details. Can, can I congratulate all three of us on using the word "the fall"? I, I put that in reluctantly, but I thought we've got more. But more Americans this thing that we've got people from outside of America. So autumn is, is what the rest of you guys are looking for. But credit to Chris for that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the you, you both raise very good points in terms of what they're going to do with their audience. But anything is better than what they've got now. It, it's so. You know, it's one thing, you know, if they were in front of just, uh, you know, a, a kind of, um, whatever you call it, a, um, 
a tourist resort type audience. It would be fine. It would be a bit weird because it wouldn't be all a wrestling fans, but it would be fine. But the fact they doctor it so much, the fact they tell them when to cheer, when to boo, it kind of means that I just zone, I just drown out, zone out any of the audience reaction because it's always just fake. And it's very difficult to judge, apart from when they're on pay-per-view, whether any of these guys are actually getting over. And it will help them a lot as well because they don't run a, a, a barrel load of live events. And it will help them get a better idea of who's the people want and i get the sense that you know they might find that the fan you know as, and we'll, we'll see tonight in terms of the fans going slightly differently to where they want to go i think we'll find that very interesting uh one more um thing this is really a question for chris i mean tom if you've got any thoughts on this do chip in um but chris um one thing that's been spoken about a lot and i've genuinely seen wcw link with about 70 percent of ecw's roster this month um but talks of and, and we spoke earlier about wcw budget cuts um if if they are being linked with these guys i would suggest they're going to try and expand their roster a little bit uh thoughts on 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 ecw names that they might want to bring in there are certain people that i think would do them the best i don't want them seeing leaving ecw would be obviously dean eddie and benoit Sabu, maybe, obviously, with him, sort of, the whole contract issues with him with ECW, anyway, he's, sort of, probably could get done on the cheap. Shane, because I, I reckon, if Shane can go over with this character, not his dynamic dudes, and what he was wasted with in the back end of NWA, he could, he could, sort of, if he can, sort of, bring the ECW guys over, I reckon he'd be massive there. But, you know, at the same time, I'm but basically everyone, them. everyone good in ECW right now could improve WCW. Yes, but I yeah. don't want them to leave. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. Um, I, for, for what it's worth, Ben Wilde did have a tryout match with WWF this month. We'll, we'll, we'll be discussing that in volume two. Uh, Douglas. That's got a little bit quiet. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see where that goes. I still think Douglas is WWF bound, but the, the, that, Given that that started in April, I, I, I'm kind of wondering why that's not been done yet. Um, but again, uh, we'll, we'll cook on, Chris. It's one of those, it, it was him having the WF shirt a bartering tool. Maybe it didn't get over with Vince for him to sort of go, look, I'm in one of your shirts, I'm representing you. And Vince has gone, well, actually, no, we're not that interested. No, could be, could be. But yeah, you're right, I, I think there's, you know, and it's difficult to say. We, we, we spent the last three months talking about WCW trying to save money. Now with this new show, all of a sudden we're actually talking about, well, they could try and sell on these people. We don't know what their budgets are going to be like. But yeah, no, I, I'd be in agreement. I, I think that, I, I don't, I think for all the guys you've mentioned, perhaps with the exception of Douglas, I think all the guys you mentioned will be better spending six more months in ECW, particularly Benoit, um, cause he's improving a lot, but he's got a long way to go on certain facets of his, uh, of his arsenal. Um, but I think, you know, if they can get Douglas, I'd look at it. You know, if we can talk about trying to create compelling television, there's very few guys in the last 18 months have been better at that across any of the three promotions than him. Um, and particularly for a guy who, you know, isn't, a fantastic worker. Like he, he's a guy who's creating compelling television with his mouth, and there's not a there's not a ton of guys available right now that can do that. You know, I, I, I well, maybe if they went back to Cactus Chat, maybe you'd want to come back. But you know that that ended badly. I don't know how that would work. The um, problem is thinking someone like a Jack or even a Sandman would they be too muted by not being able to be violent? Yeah, no, it's is true. That, is that the part that they are for the ECW that get over? 
the thing is, would they look more at the people like the Benoits, the Malinkos, the Guerreros, the Douglases, who don't really use the weapon side of it as because they can their in ring work isn't gimmicked by look we're using a flaming table we're using a chair we're using a Singapore cane they are in ring workers they're not the brawlers because with the links to Disney that WCW clearly has they're not going to be wanting people getting hit with weapons and blood and things like that that half of the ECW roster has. They're going to want to make sure that, you know, everything is PG. Master, what do you mean it's etched in stone? Kevin Sullivan! The immortal Hogan is already represented in every country and boulevard in the world! His colors are red and yellow, fly from every mountain It is one final step. My son, one final step. Then you have got to take. Master, I don't want to disappoint you. I've told you, nobody can do it. I've tried. Nobody can defeat the immortal Hulk Hogan. Nobody. Take! Take! Take it, Sullivan! Take the final step! Come to me, my son! You have taken the final step! Taskmaster! Yes, Father? All of the knowledge and all of the brave power. You know what is left to be done. Father, now that you've given me the power, I know what you meant when you said we will crush the immortal Hulk Hogan and all the Hulkamaniacs because it is action stone! Ha We start on June 3rd on Saturday night with Aunt Anderson calling out Randy Savage. Anderson insults Savage's father and then Savage joins the show via a video link from the dressing room being held back by Sting and the Renegade. That's a tease for later in the show. Men comes out to ringside for a Sting match against Dirty Dick Slater. Shivoni speculates that he might be here to double team on Sting, to which Bobby Heenan gleefully replies, You're brighter than you look. Meng ends up inadvertently kicking Slater in the head, Sting picks up the win and they square off. We get the next chapter in the Kevin Sullivan story, we cut to him running through the forest with King Curtis cutting a promo as if Sullivan is hearing voices in his head. Sullivan keeps calling him Master and he's still wearing his ring gear. Randy Savage comes out of his main event with Ric Flair, Flair's music plays but Flair didn't appear, Savage goes backstage and meets him near Gorilla. The pair brawl through to the backstage arena to the outside where Flair manages to sneak in a limo and get away. 
On to June 10th, and we get a confrontation between Diamond Dallas Page and Dave Sullivan. We eventually get around to an arm wrestling challenge being issued for the pay-per-view. If Sullivan wins, he gets a date with the Diamond Doll. If DDP wins, he gets Dave's pet rabbit, Ralph. Kevin Sullivan is now inside the Dungeon of Doom with King Curtis. Curtis tells Sullivan he's created the dungeon to destroy Hulkamania. Sullivan says that he's tried and failed to end Hulkamania. Sullivan then goes away and comes back as the Taskmaster, complete with face paint and now convinced by the task at hand. In the main event, Ric Flair defeated Alex Wright by roll-up using the tights. Savage interferes during the match as well as after and had to be held back. The final show before the Great American Bash was a largely nondescript show with build-up and recaps for the show. The main event saw the Nasty Boys take on the Blue Bloods. The match breaks down after interference from Harlem Heat. And we now return to your previously scheduled programming. Uh, we're not, we're still not going to get the Great American Bash. If you're waiting for it, you've got a few more minutes. Um, but we are now on to, we are on the same, we're on the right evening. Uh, we're going to start with, uh, WCW main event, um, the Great American Bash's pre-game show. Uh, the show itself saw victories for Harlem Heat over the Fantastics and Craig Pittman and Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater won squash matches. Uh, the show was memorable for two things. The first was Nick Bockwinkle coming out to make an announcement about Vader getting a rematch. Vader cuts him off before Bockwinkle could ever make an announcement and starts getting physical. This is only stopped when Hulk Hogan runs out and nails Vader with a chair. Eventually some baby faces on the roster run out and drag Hogan away. This is the last we see of Hogan the entire night. We also have a confrontation between Harlem Heat and Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater, or, if I'm going to be more specific about it, a confrontation between Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. Parker claimed that Sherry looked like she was, quote, yearning for the companionship of a fine southern gentleman, if you add the Colonel Robert Parker drawl towards that. A Uh, fine southern gentleman. Very well said, Chris. Uh, Parker then kisses her. Sherry slaps him in return. And this sets up a match on the pay-per-view itself. And as we can reach the conclusion of the show, uh, the company did kind of lead on viewers that we, we may get Hogan versus Vader tonight. There was no actual chance of that. But they, they did basically say that, you know, Hogan and Vader are ready to get it on tonight. And they did kind of hint, well, if you buy, if you buy this pay-per-view, you might get Hogan and Vader tonight. A possibility of the presence of a mystery man in the corner tonight of the Macho Man. Randy Savage. All that and more tonight at 1-900-909-9900. Give us a call on the hotline. Gentlemen, uh, right back. To, what, what? I don't have to interrupt you here just a minute. Did you check the time out there on that match that just took place? Probably record time. You got two men right here and Dirty Dick Slater and Buckhouse Buck that have proven over and over their caliber for the world heavyweight championship. I, I, don't, I don't know what you've got to talk about, Parker. I've got I'm to tell you this. I heard that bluesy out here a little bit earlier talking about how bad her boys the Harlem Heat are. They're no better than those nasty boys, blue bloods, any of the rest of them. My boys can, can take more. Hey, speaking of the bluesy... Look at this beautiful, gorgeous lady. Runners up in the Miss America pageant. Sherry, Sherry, you... Shut up! Who are you calling a floozy, you Kentucky Fried Chicken? Hey, let me tell you something. You want a piece of me? You want a piece of my boy's butt, dick? Kentucky Fried Chicken? How about we do it right now? Well, well, hold, 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 hold on, hold on, Colonel. You don't think we're scared of him? Wait a minute, I think you're. I want the match. I think you can. Why don't we do it right now? Now we can do it right now. 
you can't do it right. You're being propositioned, Colonel. Listen, I don't care if that's what you want and that's what your fellas back here want. Then take on Burgundy at your own risk, I might add. Well, what about that, Jerry? I take on the buck, you and him. And there ain't gonna be nothing left but dead fried chicken, a, a great ball, and an out-of-dated cowboy. We're talking about wrestling here, Colonel. I believe she, she's made a proposition. Let's just go ahead right now. Let's set the match right now. Well, I can't do that. I'm not authorized. Well, I'm telling you, we want it, you can set it, and we're going to have it. You know, but I want to say something. In the future, when you come out here and talk to me, you might ought to realize, you know, I'm about the same status as a, as an American legend here, you know. Well, I wouldn't go that far, Colonel. Don't be interrupting me here, young lady. Let me tell you something. You just got off the farm yesterday from the way you're acting here. You're probably yearning for the companionship of a fine southern gentleman. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to fix that. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, please, just a second here. Sister Sherry has just knocked Colonel Robert Parker on his stuff. He's bloody. No, that's lipstick. I don't know. They want a match. Where are we? You want them? You want them? Come get them! Put back together. Come Put on for the Get a shot of... Is that blood? My word, no, it's lipstick. It's lipstick. You've got to be kidding me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what a way to kick it all off at the top of the hour. The Great American Bash. Bunkhouse Buck. Dirty decks later, you better get your man back to the locker room and get him cleaned up. Uh, we will discuss a couple of things. You know, we'll get to the Great American Bash in a minute. Um... Chris, there are, there are two things I want to discuss. I, I want to start with this um, Sister Sherry Conroy Parker thing because it's quite interesting. Because because I, I I came out of this main event thinking, oh, I wouldn't have done that, and so did a lot of people who were reviewing it and the talks from the Observer. But they were all talking about Hogan and Vader and that kind of tease and all well and good. I was a bit more uncomfortable with with with, with this segment, Chris. Not that it was a bad segment, but I don't know that I'd be having the the fifty year olds or the forty five year old manager kissing. You know, without provocation, the young, slightly younger female. I don't think that's a good look. I actually really liked it. Yeah. I I think it builds the, the character of Colonel Parker being, you know, lost in time. If you think back to, uh, it wasn't long ago that he had the Harlem Heat on chains. You well, know, for, he, fortunately, he, he never did, but that that we got close. That you know, that that character is you know nineteen early nineteenth century you know southern farm owner who thinks that you know because he has money and land he can do what the hell he likes, and if he says it's because he's a southern gentleman, you know that means that he's he's cool for it. The fact that Sherry punched him back in the face even better. Yeah. I know, I, yeah. I like the segment. I just would have had him lent in for the kiss and then let her hit him. I, I just wouldn't have done the bit where he kind of forced himself upon her. That was the, bit the I was slightly like, rapey bit. Yeah. I so, thought. I just thought that the the fact that from a realism point of view, if we if we can go there, I thought it was in that segment. It was ridiculous that Booker T or Stevie Ray didn't didn't lamp him. No, you know, I, I thought that as well. Yeah. Why would they yeah. stand there? Makes no sense whatsoever. No, no, that's a fair. Talk me, talk me your thoughts on, on, on that segment. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. Um, I, I thought that, I, I mean, in my notes, I've written down that Sherry looked insane, but then when, when does she not? Um, I, I think it, it serves the purpose of the feud. It adds a, adds a little bit of depth to it, uh, taking it past the fact that the, the two teams just want to fight each other. Um, but uh, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the, the age difference. I suppose with some uh, some viewers, it could be it could be a problem. But uh, I think that Sherry sold it particularly well, and the, the punch was was fine. I, I didn't have a problem with it. No, fair enough. I, uh, we'll come to this when we get to the match on the show itself. I think the problem was this was a very good angle, but we got to the end of the angle. And, and do you know, Chris, do you know what match I wanted to see at the end of this angle? Sherry versus. Parker? Exactly. And what match did we get? We got Harlem Heat versus Buck and Slater. Like the match that nobody cared about. Like the, the, the confrontation you wanted to see was those two, or at least some form of it. Like Sherry will give us as good as she gets, so I think it kind of would have worked. But instead it was a setup for a match between two tactics that, lest we not forget, are both heels. Um, you know, Sherry and the Heat were kind of playing sort of babyfaces here, or as though as we'll get to in the show, they're certainly still heels. Um, that was another interesting angle on it. But no, an effective segment, as I said, I would have tweaked it slightly. And if we're going to talk about, you know, WCW launching a new show, this is the kind of thing I want to see. This is the kind of thing in front of a live crowd, a genuinely, I don't want to overstate it by calling it captivating, but a genuinely interesting angle. This is the kind of thing I think they're going to have to lean towards in one, some way, shape or form or another. And in that sense, big tick. But as I say, they, I think they, they over, you know, they over egg themselves in the sense that the angle was effective. The match on the show, I don't think people actually wanted to see. I actually think the match they wanted to see, and perhaps we'll get this at a later date, would have been Sherry and Parker. Um, and the other thing, before we hit the Great American Bash, Tom, uh, a little bit dodgy suggesting Hogan and Vega would have gone on tonight. Yeah, I, I think that sort of move is pretty outrageous and pretty pretty insulting to a fan, uh, considering that if you're watching the product, and, and let's say people were watching main event on the premise of watching Saturday night main event, they may, may very well have purchased it for that very reason. And then if you watch it and there's no payoff, you'd feel pretty uh, pretty sick to your stomach, I think, especially if that's the match that you bought the pay-per-view for. Um, and I don't really... I, I, it's, it's, I, I have this opinion on a couple of things that WCW do, and the, my other one is the hotline, uh, the way that they draw people in just to get their money and literally just to get their money. There's no sense of, as a, as, a, as a viewer and as a fan of our products, we will reward you for your investment. Actually, this is an example of, for your investment, we'll give you a slap in the face. Um, and I don't agree with it. I think it's uh, really, really, really just quite disgraceful. Chris, same question? Pretty much exactly what Tom just said, because I was going to bring up the fact of it's no different to the hotline, because obviously watching this month, we've seen a bit of the loads of the adverts for the hotline, and it was like... Hints of a dead man coming who lives yeah, on the dark, dark side, side. Yeah, yeah. and which blue blood is with what royal? Uh, you know, it is basically just. Oh come on! It, like, if you bought the blue blood and royal story, you deserve to lose your money. Come on! But there is that. But it literally is just a case of here. Let, let's we'll show out these ideas that something could be happening. Phone us up. We'll tell you more lies. But because we're not doing it on TV. We can't get sued for it. Yeah. Give yeah, us our money. Because people have got to pay to hear it. I mean, what, what I thought about all this was, one, yes, a little bit dodgy that they, you know, they didn't say it outright, but, you know, they basically teased that 
something is going to go down on this show. And you know what my problem was it? It's not that we didn't get the match. We never saw Hogan on the pay-per-view. Like, how can you have Hogan in the building, there, and then he never appears on the show? Like, obviously, we know why, because it would have cost them like, about a quarter of a million dollars of him, you know, for a pay-per-view appearance. But you've got him there, and then you have this big tease saying, well, Hogan and Vader are ready to happen, have their match tonight. You know, it's it's one thing to not have the match. It's quite another to not have Hogan appear on the show at all. Because they would have done buys on the basis of that. And I don't think people would have been angry if they'd have had a big, maybe they had a big fight or a big pull-apart brawl on the actual show itself or something like that, or some kind of tease. But the fact Hogan wasn't on the show, I think was them pushing things a bit too far. But as we say, you know, they are trying this thing with, with, with the pre-game show as a hook, all well and fine. They're going to have to watch it a bit. Because the, the point is, is that, look, it's pro wrestling. I don't get the sense that, you know, there's going to be any legal trouble from this. Maybe there will be, you don't know. Um, but I think it's more, it's, it's less about the actual legality of it. It's more a case of, if I bought that show in the last five minutes of main event, and Hogan didn't turn up on the show, I'd feel quite pissed off and it will probably decrease my chances of buying shows in the future. That, I think, is what they need to be careful of. Um, but we move on to the Great American Bash. Tom, kicks off with the results. Alex Wright defeated Brian Pillman. Dave Sullivan, with his pet rabbit Ralph, defeated Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle in an arm wrestling contest. Sullivan won a date with the Diamond Doll by winning. Jim Duggan defeated Sergeant Craig Pittman by disqualification. Harlem Heat, with Sister Sherry, defeated Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. The Renegade defeated Arn Anderson to win the WCW World Television Championship. The Nasty Boys defeated the Blue Bloods to retain the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Sting defeated Meng to win the vacant WCW United States Championship. And Ric Flair defeated Randy Savage. Chris, your thoughts on this show? It was actually really good. It was surprisingly so. Um, the opener was, you know, something to be sort of expected that wasn't going to be that great, but it really was. A really good main event. And, you know, the matches all in between all sort of you know, were of a decent standard apart from about two. Tom? Yeah, not not quite as a, as glowing a review as as Chris, but however, I do agree that I, I thought that. I mean, before before the pay per view started, when I looked at the card, I thought the opening match and the final match are the two that are probably gonna um, pay off, and and they didn't disappoint. I, I thought the opening match was was excellent, um, and I thought that the the, the 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 match between Flair and Savage was exactly what it needed to be. Um, I thought that every match in between was average to poor to average i would say um with a couple of exceptions in terms of spots and 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 you know the right the right calls being made that is that is one of my notes that i made i i made a note that the booking for the entire pay-per-view was correct in my opinion everyone that i felt should have won their matches did and that is a sign of a good pay-per-view we've got the renegade in amongst all of that but we'll come to that when we get to it yeah um Pillman versus Alex Wright was the best WCW pay-per-view match of 1995 um, for about two hours, um, which is testimony, well, one to the fact that we haven't really had a great WCW pay-per-view match this year. Um, but that was a genuine surprise 
Um, I think even even if I tell you it's going to be a really good match, I think if you listen to this show and then go and watch this match afterwards, I still think you'll be surprised. It was one of those things where it was like the action was good. The fact that it was Pillman in Ohio meant that the crowd were more into him, and we'll get onto all those dynamics in a minute. Um, but that kind of gave the match an extra bit of edge. And then just when you would, like, if you don't know how long that match was going to be, there were probably three or four occasions where you're like, okay, the match is about to end. And then we got another big spot and another big change up, and it's like, oh, this is getting better. Um, that was really good. Main event was excellent. It was like watching wrestling on fast forward, and I mean that in a positive way. In the middle, it was up and down. There was some decent stuff. There was an awful match in the middle, and it was a bit, you know, bouncy up and down. He had an arm wrestling match and all of that. But yeah, easily WCW's best pay-per-view outing of uh, of 1995. Um, and yeah, we will start with Flying Brian versus Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. Pillman starts the match working on the arm, then Wright returns the favour. Pillman does a head to the takedown, which gets a nice reception from the crowd. The pair exchange drop kicks, then Wright rolls into submission. Wright goes for a shoulder tackle, but appears to catch Pillman low, which the Ohio crowd aren't happy about. Pillman ducks then Zaguri, which gets some appreciation. Pillman hits a head scissors, but Wright recovers into a Boston Crab. Wright goes for consecutive roll-ups. Pillman hits a big chop, which gets some appreciation. Wright throws Pillman to the outside, then holds open the ropes to allow Pillman to get back in the ring. Pillman, instead, pulls him out of the ring, much to the crowd's appreciation again. Pillman hits a gut buster, then drops Wright onto the top rope. Pillman goes for a suplex into the ring, but Wright counters into a, for a suplex to the outside. As Pillman recovers, the crowd starts to boo Wright, who then hits a tope to the outside. Wright hits a drop kick from the top. Pillman sends to the outside after kicking out, then does a suicide dive. Pillman goes for a dive off the apron, but Wright moves and he goes to crashing into the barricade. Wright goes for a flying shoulder tackle from the top, but Pillman moves early. The pair go for a double drop kick, both laid on the floor. Pillman goes for, uh, for a top for a suplex, but Wright pushes him off, hits a crossbody, but Pillman kicks out, and I think he's the first person to do that. Wright goes to the top again, but Pillman hits a drop kick as he's flying through the air. Wright kicks out, Pillman goes to the top, then Wright crotches him on the top rope. Wright goes for a German suplex, Pillman kicks out. Pillman goes for a crucifix type pin, but Wright sits out on it and gets the three count. After the match, the pair shake hands and hug. Chris? This was a great paced match full of decent little high spots. You know, the suplex the outside, the top rope moves. It was akin to an opener from an ECW show more than a WCW show. You know, and just to sort of toot my own horn a little bit, I'm going to hark back to what I did say when we first saw Alex Wright uh, last year, and I went, I think he has got potential. It's clearly shown that he's getting better. Yeah, I mean, he, he's... He's always had the athleticism. I don't think that's a that's questionable. Um, but it basically in the last couple of months he's had two very good. Admittedly, this, this match was a couple of pegs better than his one with Al Anderson last month. But putting he he is the kind of guy right now who, from a purely technical standpoint, can be put in the ring with a guy who's really good and can have a really good match with them. And that's not something you can say about a ton of WCW's roster. Um, uh, Tom, your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a number of Chris's points. I think, you know, if it, how do you want a pay-per-view to start? This is how you want a pay-per-view to start, is my, is my opinion. Uh, two young guys, a lot of energy, uh, brought everything to the table. There was a great story told as well, I thought. It wasn't just the match and the, and the flow of events that took place. It was actually the story that was being told. Because um, mid-match, you know, it started very fair play. 
uh, shake of hands. And then halfway through the match, Pillman took the heel turn by getting more aggressive and dirty tactics. Um, and then by the end, Wright realised that he had to do the same thing in order to counteract his, uh, Pillman's aggression. And I just thought it was great. I, I, a number of the spots were good. Um, I think that it, each of them showed what they're good at. Um, I, I think that there's very little you you would want from an opening match that wasn't included in this one. And uh, I think, again, I think it was the right call for, for the win, for Alex Wright to get the win, because he was dented by um, uh, losing to, uh, well, he was knocked out of the tournament for the US title by um, Macho Man's interference. And I think this, this helps him, you know, it puts him on the, keeps him on the right track. And I don't think it made Pillman look bad either, because it was a great match. They both looked, came across really well. And uh, yeah, thumbs up from me. No, I I want to see more from these two. Um, and also, it, you know, not to this extent, but if we're going to talk about what you know, WCW are going to put on their new TV show, matches like this are going to get people tuning in. Um, not that you can do that kind of thing every week; it'll get a bit you know dry. Um, but yeah, this was this was excellent. As I kind of said when we were discussing the thing at the top, in that it was you know the, the match was ticking along, and then you're thinking, oh, we're about to finish. This will be good. And then they do another spot and the match continues and they kept kind of climbing the steps, the steps and the steps. And by the time they got the actual finish, like the match crescendoed really nicely. And the fact, you know, Pillman kicks out of Wright's apparent finisher, the kind of the flying crossbody. Excellent spot with the suplex to the outside. Another really good spot. I think it's Pillman who does the, um, like the axe handle and Wright moves and then Pillman just eats a bit of barricade. Um, and then a, a really good spot with the, the high angle drop kick from Pillman as, as Wright's kind of flying through the air. Um, yeah, a, a big, big thumbs up. As I say, at, at this point, possibly the best WCW match. Uh, oh, I mean, we're, we're going back maybe to Flair and, uh, and Hogan almost a year ago. He might be. I'm trying to think what else would have topped that. I mean, a, a lot of the WCW matches in 1994 were kind of prior to Hogan's arrival, the good stuff. Um, but yeah, this is, this was the, the, the best match I can recall in a long time. Uh, and credit to both guys. As I say, you know, we, we've got a pay-per-view next month. You might as well rematch them. Um, give Pillman his win back and then you could almost go for the hat-trick. Um, maybe, you know, I, I don't know whether there'd be enough, you know, whether you want to lead out with, with Pillman and, uh, and Wright on your opening show, but maybe this is one of the hooks for the, the first TV show is find out who, you know, the best of three is Pillman wins the second one and then this is, that's the finale. I, I think a lot of people, you know, maybe you, maybe you're not gonna get a ton of TV viewership from that, but certainly the guys who are buying the pay-per-views are gonna want to watch that match. Um, yeah, and, and I, Bob, Bob, I just, I just want to add, before cool. I get a chance not to, um, my first Heenan quote of the night that I've written down in my notes, with the, I mean, the guy has me laughing non-stop, but the first quote I had was during this match that he, there was a, a chap in the crowd, uh, with a t-shirt on, um, which I'll let, I'll let you guess what it said after Heenan saw it and said, look at that guy wearing his IQ on a shirt. And yeah. it was the number one. And yeah. uh, it, it, that's just my first example of him being uh, the best colour commentator in the business at the moment. Yeah, no, completely agree. I mean, it, 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 less so on this show, more on the TV prior, but Heenan's been on yeah. fire this month. Um, agree, some, of the, so, some of the stuff that we, we weren't quite have time to cover. Um, but certainly I think it's the first um, Saturday night of the month. Heenan is just, he's getting served balls, he's knocking him out of the park, and he's doing that a lot. Um, but yeah, Heenan was pretty good on this show. I won't say excellent. You know, I don't, I don't, he didn't stand out to me that much, but yeah, uh, you know, he, Heenan, Heenan can have a good night and be better than everyone else when it comes to commentary. So that's a, that's no exception. Anyway, we have a video package airing highlighting Darren Dallas Page's arm wrestling exploits. We cut back live to Dave Sullivan 
Gene Oakland implies that if DDP wins, he says he's going to have Dave's pet rabbit, Ralph, for lunch. And next up, it's Dime Dallas Page with the Dime Doll on Max Muscle versus Dave Solomon in an arm wrestling match. For some reason, Dave Solomon is out wearing wrestling gear. I'm not particularly sure why. I guess you could say, well, in the event it breaks down, he, he might need to wrestle so i suppose that's fair enough uh ddp flicks his cigar at him and that angers dave after a lot of toing and throwing dave ends up winning the arm wrestling match i can't really live commentary on it um max and ddp get into an argument uh Shivoni reckons that the diamond doll caused ddp to lose by bumping into him ddp and max quickly hug and make up but max points the finger of blame at the doll in the after in an aftermatch interview page wants a do-over and says he and the doll need a long talk chris waste of valuable pay-per-view time i i have no time for arm wrestling in in professional wrestling and i have no interest in either of these characters tom two words on my notes silly pointless i do not understand segments like this in the middle of a pay-per-view they should be on tv if they lead into a brawl or there's something that the crowd can get into and appreciate and go home and tell people that they saw, uh, that, that's fine. But if anyone in that audience is going to go home and tell people the next day that they saw an arm wrestling contest between a, a, a blonde, curly-haired big chap and a man carrying a rabbit, um, they're not going to be the most popular people in school either. So it's wasteful, completely don't get it. Um, I would hope that it leads to uh, the doll and DDP um going separate ways but I, I i would estimate that that might be too uh optimistic in long-term booking um i think it was a waste of time oh i, I don't know i thought i'd like throw up the doll on the dp anyway i i didn't hate this um it, but I, I didn't love it um but you know in terms of if we had to have these two on the show would i rather a two-minute arm wrestling contest or an eight-minute match i'd take the arm wrestling contest i think if we'd have had a decibel meter on the crowd, the crowd would have been louder for the arm wrestling contest than they would have been for the match. Now, yes, it's a very good argument to say, well, Bob, just don't put them on the show, but, you know, that's not really an option here. We don't see anything. They've got a sword on they want to develop. Look, it's an arm wrestling match. You, you don't have to watch this to know if you like it. If you like the idea of an arm wrestling match, you probably didn't hate this segment. If, as, as Chris and Tom think, you think arm wrestling matches are pointless, you hated this segment. You don't need to watch this bit. I, you can already deduce whether you enjoyed the segment or not. That, that's all there is to say about it, I think. And I don't, I don't think we're uh, dwell on it any longer than that. We move on to Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Sergeant Craig Pittman. This was the match that uh, Mark Alexander Bagwell was going to have uh, against Pittman, uh, but obviously, you know, he, he's busy getting his calves implanted. I don't know why. Um, anyway, uh, the pair almost come to blows before the match even begins. Duggan's usual shtick whips up the crowd. Pittman does some press-ups in the meantime. Duggan throws him to the outside, then attacks him in the R-way. Pittman rips off Duggan's knee pad before driving his knee into the ring post twice. Duggan takes some more punishment before levelling Pittman with the right hand. Pittman goes for a crossbody. Duggan catches him, then drops him. Duggan hits the three-point stance, but Pittman rolls out into an armbar. Duggan grabs the ropes. Pittman keeps the submission locked in and gets disqualified. Duggan grabs his two-by-four and goes swinging, but Pittman escapes. Tom. I thought that the pace was slow. I mean, I thought that I thought that the, the whole match was uh, pedestrian. I think uh, it was obviously cobbled together at the last, um, you know, too late. Um, there probably wasn't enough prep time. But when you look at the two guys who were in the ring, it probably was as good as it ever was going to be. 
Um, I've certainly seen worse matches. And I thought that Pittman was actually quite engaging. And I, I like his um, MMA background. He's, he's, yeah, he's obviously got some talent there that it adds a different bit of spice into his game. Um, and ha- with, with Hacksaw, you, you, with Jim Duggan, you, you know exactly what you're getting. Um, he does exactly what he says on the tin. Um, and again, I agree, I agree with the outcome and the, and the winner. So it was, it was, it was okay. Um, I didn't hate it. No, I mean, I, as you say, you know, I'll give them both credit for, for doing a little bit to be, keep the crowd slightly more invested than they perhaps would have been. Um, and, and, you know, as you said, I don't think this match between these two is going to get any better than this. It's kind of your own fault most of putting it on and your own fault for, for silling pulling Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, but yeah, it was alright. It, it wasn't anything I'd go back and watch again, but it was slightly better than your average Jim Duggan match. Chris? Slow, boring, but what could you expect when you have Hacksaw in the ring? Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, I was concerned at one point they were going to have Pittman lose. At least they didn't do that. Well, he, he lost, but, you know, disqualification. Um, but, yeah, it, it, no, nothing to write home about here. Excuse me, Mr. Oakland, please. My learned colleague has a lot more things on his mind. Let us put this situation like a little case in history. 1945 in May, Adolf Hitler sat next to Joseph Goebbels in the bunker and he said, you know, Joseph, I think we've blown it. And that's exactly what these two fat lowbreds, these gutter snipes have done. They have blown it. They do not realize what they have got themselves into. They are in for the thrashing of their lives. They have no concept of the pain, the torture, and the embarrassment that they are going to receive at the hands of the two greatest noblemen that ever graced this shore. May I interrupt here just a second? Uh, for the for the record, gentlemen, let's go back to Slamboree. You ambushed the nasty boys from behind. And you've had a couple of subsequent meetings, and I don't think things are probably going to go tonight exactly the way you're planning, in all due respect, at the risk of sounding negative. When you are in this country of decadence and debauchery and violence, where your children grow up in violent society, sometimes violence is the only thing that gets people's attention. Myself and the good Earl, my learning colleague here, had to bring attention to ourselves. We have shown the world... And we have shown WCW that there is no one better and no one more qualified for a shot at the world's tag team championships. The only reason that the nasty boys are the tag champions at the moment is because there isn't another team capable of beating them. That shows how pathetic the other teams are here in world championship wrestling. And believe me, it's only a matter of time before you have two gracious athletes as your champions. And we move on to Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker versus Harlem Heat, Steve Ray and Booker T with Sister Sherry. The action kicks off before the bell. We start with a brawl before things calm down. Ray does a pair of body slams to both Slater and Buck. The Heat exchange kicks and Booker T hits a scissor kick on Buck. Ray and Slater exchange punches. Ray hits a snapmare into a chokehold. Slater and Buck gain control over Ray. Slater drives his head into the ring post. Buck hits a big boot. Ray does a shoulder tackle and manages to take down both Buck and Slater. Booker T gets a tag and then hits a drop kick. Uh, Booker T rolls up Buck with the referee distracted. Parker gets in the ring, flips the pin over. The ref is still distracted. Sherry flips the pin back over. Referee finally turns back round, counts the three, and the Heat win. Chris? I thought this was a really good back and forth match. Um... The manager's involvement in the finish was to be expected because they're both being heel teams, both of them using their managers to get advantages. Um, I liked it, you know. It, 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 the fact that it had a literal hour's build, 
I was I was up for the match and enjoyed it all. I I must have watched a different match. I didn't uh, at all. Uh, likewise, I I thought that it was well. I, I thought it had a strange sort of disjointed pace when it started, uh, and it didn't really find its feet. Um, I th- I I really rate. Um, Harlem Heat, uh, Booker T in particular, I think he's got a lot of talent and he's wasted in a match like this. Um, because Buck and Slater, I don't think they could really, at this stage in their careers, have a great match with anyone. Um, other than, you know, a five minute brawl, um, which might be high excitement. Uh, I thought that the, I, I didn't like the finish. I really don't like finishes like that. Um, I thought it was a bit of a comedy finish with, with the rollover and the double rollover for the pin. Um, but the crowd seemed to really enjoy it. Um, and I thought perhaps maybe it was me being a, a bit overly negative, but I'm glad to hear that you, you had a similar experience to me, Bob, because I just thought that it, it lacked um, anything to keep me engaged. And I, I, I thought that everyone in it did fine. I, I did OK. But um, the story that was told didn't I, I didn't really care. I thought, no, it didn't, didn't, didn't do it for me. Yeah, Chris, I know you said you a bit. But what, what exactly do you like about this match? I thought this was pretty dull. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing horrendously wrong about it. We, we've got Arnold and the Renegade next. Um, but this was immensely forgettable. Maybe it's just I've been watching lots of old timey stuff, and it reminds me of old time wrestling. It it just sort of clicked with me. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, as as I said uh, uh, at the top, uh, I, I thought the yeah we had two heel teams here, which doesn't help. Um, but I thought the the confrontation people wanted to see was Sherry and Parker, and we didn't get that. So uh, a, a, a thumbs down for me on this one. I, I don't think the action was particularly good. I don't think it was a particularly good match. Um, I, I think I don't know. I don't know why. Obviously, look, we're, we're talking about a company that needs to cut costs, and we're, they're employing Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck, which which kind of tells me they've got something on Ric Flair. I don't know else why else they're there. You know, Bunkhouse Buck was quite funny alongside Terry Funk, but that's because Terry Funk is really good. Um, when he's alongside Dick Slater, I don't think the same effect he's had. But we 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 will we will move on. Uh, Nick Bockwinkel joins Tony Schiavone and Bobby Hinn in the commentary position. He says beating up announcers and former wrestlers does not prove that Vader is a world champion. Uh, Bockwinkel then forgets the name of the next show before remembering it and announcing that Vader will face Hulk Hogan inside a steel cage at Bash of the Beach, and that will literally be on a beach. Uh, in a ring, um, but the actual show is going to be on an actual beach outside sunshine, etc., etc. Et Rick Flair joins me and Gene Oakland. Flair says he will deal with Savage so that Vader doesn't have to deal with him afterwards. Flair says he took Savage's wife in 92, he took his dad at Slamboree, and tonight the greatest wrestler alive today is going to beat him at the bash. Quite a good promo from Flair. We move on. It's the television title. It's the Renegade with Ginny Hart versus Iron Anderson. Anderson opens up in the corner, but Renegade charged him and sends him over the top rope. The pair exchange of Donald stretches. Anderson hits an enziguri, but Renegade no-sells it. Renegade charges at Anderson in the corner. Anderson nails a big elbow, which Renegade wears, but stays on his feet. Anderson, hit, uh, Anderson hits a sleeper. Renegade slips out and hits a sleeper of his own. Anderson escapes via a back body drop. Renegade fires up, but Anderson hits a spine buster to the delight of a crowd that have been largely silent, or, well, almost exclusively. Renegade kicks out. Anderson goes to the top. Renegade trips him up. Renegade then plants him in the mat. Renegade goes to the top, hits a big splash, and picks up the victory. Renegade wins the TV title, and the WCW's camera team somehow finds someone in the front row dressed as the Renegade. I, I, they must be a plant. Uh, separately, we see the big guy from the end of Sanbury, Paul White. Uh, he's standing in the crowd. He's every bit as big as advertised. He shapes to slap Jimmy Hart, but Hart runs off. Chris? It wasn't as bad as it could have been. 
It wasn't good, but it could have been could, a hell of a lot worse. Could it have been worse? Like, is our, seen, like if our answer was against me, would he have had a worse match? No. I I'd reckon, still like to see it, but probably I'd, not. I'd like to see it, but I reckon I could get a better match out of you. But seeing Renegade on TV, this was better than any of his TV matches have been. That that's the that's literally the lowest form of praise you could have possibly offered, and it still counted as praise. Was it was slightly better than Renegade against inferior opponents? Yes, Tom. <laughs> um, I I mean Renegade's character just c- consistently uh, confuses me. I, I I don't I don't understand how I don't understand why they would come up with a character like him, and also how they get away with it, but. Aside from that, um, I don't think that Renegade has learnt how to sell uh, at this point. Um, I think that Arn Anderson is far too long in the tooth to really make too effort trying to make Renegade look good. Um, and I didn't appreciate the match. I mean, I've always got time for Arn Anderson's Spinebuster. That looks great if he's doing it on anyone. Um, but that's probably the only the only thing that I enjoyed in the uh, in in the match. Um, I, I, the reason why when I said at the start that I thought that. It, this pay-per-view had all the right winners is that I just feel that if, if the company is trying to invest in Renegade and they're trying to get people to believe in, in his character, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, it, it was an upset. It's, it's the, it's the young star, uh, the upstart, um, upsetting the veteran. Um, it gives him a reason to be on TV. Um, it puts some credibility against his name. Um, if they're going to push him and continue to push him, I think it makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, but, uh, but I, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, and I thought that Paul White at ringside was pulling one of the most ridiculous faces I've ever seen in my life. But that's that's another story. Well, that's true as well. Um, yeah, I, I think Dave Meltzer summed it up best when he said that Arn Anderson here probably gave the best ever performance from someone who he rated to be in a negative star match. Um, it, yeah, this... <laughs> This had, look, other than the Spinebuster, this match had nothing going for it. And the Renegade's awful. Imagine taking the Ultimate Warrior and saying, we're going to take all the bad bits of the Warrior and none of the good bits. That's what you, that's the Renegade. It's the Ultimate Warrior without any of the charisma. That's it. Like he, he's, he's even worse in the ring. His ability to put on an even, like, remotely passable match isn't even anywhere near as good. And he's got no fan connection. This was, awful i mean that's the thing like the match could have been a lot worse had they have asked renegade to do any more but they didn't it was a load of rest holds anderson's going to attack you you've got to no sell it kick out of his moves and then hit a admittedly semi-decent splash to, to win the match from the top rope um yeah th- this match was the pits um with, with regards to what you were saying tom i mean yes the right idea but wrong guy i think that's that's the long and short of it yes the idea of someone beating anderson getting the rub and winning a championship fair enough but even alex wright for all of his faults would be would have been a five times better candidate for this spot than renegade yeah i i, I do agree but i think that's half of the problem that wcw has at the moment is they're not getting behind the right guys and yes, this is a, a demonstration of that. But in terms of, you know, storytelling and the booking going forward, uh, Renegade is, is part of the Hulk Hogan crew. Um, and it makes sense to have a bit of gold on, on, on his shoulder as well when, he, when he's standing next to Hogan. So I think it makes sense, but I don't agree with it. Yeah, for what it's worth, there are already people in, in, in WCW's hierarchy who think it's a big mistake giving him the championship, uh, because the television championship, which, you know, logically means he's got to wrestle matches on television, um, and that's no good thing where Renegade is concerned. A lot of people think that it's probably going to be quite a short reign, which I, I think is, you know, 
fairly to be expected, but we'll see. But this, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not remotely surprised in the slightest, but this was a very bad way to start off Renegade's title reign. Uh, anyway, we move on to the WCW. Oh, in fact, no, we can, we can also, I guess, quickly discuss, uh, Chris, what do you think of Paul White? He looks impressive in size, but may need some acting classes because the faces were terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what the instructions were. Go out there and look tough. Like, I think they would have been better just telling him to go out there. I think he might not have thought about it then. Um, yeah, he but, could have just stood up and he would have looked sort of menacing because he is legitimately bigger than everyone else there. Yeah. I mean, that's the, thing, that, that what, the one thing they got right at Slamboree that they, they, they probably got wrong here was that at Slamboree, he just walked out to the top of the ramp, looked big, and then walked off. Here they asked him to do more and they probably got less out of it. Although he was in the crowd and he did get close to Jimmy Hart, so it's like, well, you know, here's the size comparison. Hart's pretty short. Um, but yeah, um, th- this, I won't call it a negative, but it certainly wasn't the positive that the brief appearance at Slamboree was. I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll say that. Chris, any more? No, it's just obviously, you know, he just needs to be quiet, do nothing and just stand there and be big. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's it. His selling point is his size. Let his size do the talking. Uh, we move on to the WCW World Tag Team Title Match. It's the Blue Bloods, Lord Stephen Regal and Earl Robert Eaton versus the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sachs. The match starts as a brawl. Nobbs and Eaton spill into the aisleway. Sag drives Regal's arm into the ring post. There's a man in the front row with a sign that says, Bloody good wallop, sir. Uh, the Nasties double-team Regal in the ring. Regal takes the pit stop and then looks utterly revolted on the outside. For those who don't know, the pit stop is the bit where uh, the Nasty boys ram their opponent's face into Brian Nobbs' armpit. Uh, Regal's facial expression here was uh, top draw. Um, uh, if anything, you know, I, I think if you saw Regal's facial expression... You cannot say you're ripped off by the Hogan-Vader angle. You got your money's worth. Uh, the action spills. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Ethan then suffers the same fate, and Regal tries to hold back Vomit as they regroup on the outside. Uh, the action spills to the outside again. The Nasty Boys double-team on Regal. Sags headbutts Regal's groin. Nobbs gives Eaton an atomic drop onto a steel chair. Back in the ring, the Blue Bloods finally gain control. Regal drops an elbow from a running start on the apron not, uh, to Nobbs on the outside. Sags eventually has enough and just jumps in and starts attacking the Bloods. Eaton charges Nobbs in the corner and ends up crotching himself on the second turnbuckle. The Blue Bloods recover and attack Sags on the outside. Regal drives Sags into the guardrail. Nobbs then gets a lukewarm tag and unloads on both Blue Bloods. He and Regal go down and out come Sherry and Stevie Ray. Booker T then comes out and hits a Harlem hangover from the top rope on Nobbs. He then inadvertently crotches Eaton on the top rope as he's getting out of the ring. Sags hits a top rope splash and Nobbs gets the pin. The Harlem Heat are pissed that their interference didn't go the way they wanted to. Tom? I liked this match. I, um, it may be a personal uh, thing because I'm, I'm a fan of the, the nasties and uh, Regal uh, in general because he's just pure comedy and, and also he's got a lot of technical uh, skill that he brings to his game. Um, but I thought that it was a, a, a really quick, wild start to the match. The first 10 minutes, actually, I actually thought it felt like an ECW style match. There was a lot of outside the ring, things being, you know, objects being grabbed. Uh, it, it was, it didn't really get started for a good, for a good 10 minutes, which was probably half the match. Um, there were some really good spots in there. I thought that the um, there was an elbow drop from Regal to Brian Nobbs on the outside that I thought looked particularly stiff. Uh, sort of butted him in the back of the head, and I thought that was that was that was nice. Um, 
I thought the the, the finish was. I, I don't like. I, I don't like dirty finishes, so it, that bothered me slightly. But the crowd love the Nasty Boys, and I, I think that's amazing. For when when you think about what they represent, they're dirty, grimy blokes that that stick people's faces into their armpits and just want to fight. Uh, so the fact that the crowd gets so behind them is, is a credit to them, I think, um, because they are likable and, and and they do bring something that no other team does. Um, so I thought I thought it was a good match. I, I actually really enjoyed it. Chris, great mix of brawling, wrestling. Um, Regal should be getting Oscars for those facials. <laughs> he is amazing, and even Earl um, picking up from Sir Stephen um, with sort of picking up bits and pieces himself as well. Um, so obviously he didn't do that when he was in the Midnight Express. Um, the ending, I think, was just a little bit overbooked. Um, if you're going to have someone run interference, make it count. I didn't like the fact that they inadvertently hit, they hit the Howlam hangover, yet somehow managed to then cost the, the Blue Bloods the match. Yeah, I, I quite like the finish. Well, I didn't love it, but in terms of it was... Uh, of all the possible interference finishes you could have gone with, I thought it was quite a clever way of the Heat clearly don't want to face the Nasty Boys. So, you know, it's telling the story that they want to get the title on the Blue Blood so that they've got a better chance of winning them. That's a that's a, a fair point. Um, and so the idea that Booker T interferes, it ends up costing both sides, it ends up means that the Nasty's return the match, I thought it was quite clever. I mean, don't get it wrong, you know, it's, it's not a great finish, but it was certainly better than it could have been. Um, but yeah, I'm three for three on the match. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I don't know that there are many acts in wrestling right now that are getting more out of their talents than the Nasty Boys are in terms of they're, you know, out of a hundred, they're both 68 acts and they're both getting 68 out of each other, if that makes sense, in terms of neither of them are great, that, you know, but they know what they're good at and they do it every time. And the crowd are really into them. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're far more talented acts in, in, in wrestling right now that aren't as over as the nasty boys. Um, and they're really good at what they do. Regal's uh, fantastic. I mean that that you know and so the 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 pit stop again is, is another big kind of kudos move to the nasty boys for coming up with something like that that you might not be clever enough to think of but when you think about it it's like that's really good like in terms of one you know one Brian Nobbs probably is the guy who doesn't wash his armpits all that often but two the fact that it's a genuine like submission hole that you ram your face into it they can't breathe that plus the smell it's it's in wrestling it's a very effective manoeuvre um Chris your, your thoughts on the nasty boys they know what they do they do it well and as long as they stick to what they're good at they're great it's when you ask them to do sort of proper wrestling matches and don't let them brawl is when their downfall comes up and you see the their weaknesses. Um honestly but... I just wouldn't ask them to wrestle. <laughs> I know that's I know that might be playing favourites and you know making exceptions for guys, but they're very good in this role and they're not very good when it comes to wrestling. So just don't have them wrestle. Look at back at last year, um with Cactus and Max Payne and there was the other matches they had as well where they were Kevin just having, Sullivan won it, yeah. Yeah, they were just having walking brawls. And they were some of the best matches of last year in WCW. Yeah. You know, get, get them doing what they're good at, and they're great at it. 
they're, they're a highly entertaining act, even though they're quite limited. You know, I mean, the promos aren't great, but it's the thing. It's it, it, you know, that and the fact that they're. I don't want to say they're really over. I don't want to overdo it. But in terms of crowd reaction, there aren't many that there aren't many in that company that get a get a crowd reaction like that. And if we're going to talk about limited ability, they do the most with what they've got, which is testament to them. But the match was match was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't great, but it it was a highly entertaining match, which I think is is, is half the battle. Um and yeah, I, I think we've got a story on developing between these three teams. As we said earlier, the, well, actually, you know, it was, was Buck and Slater, I suppose. But the Heat, the Nasty Boys, and Buck and Slater all have a very good claim for the tag titles right now. If you want to look at spoilers and things that would take last month and things that would take out of this show that haven't aired yet, it, I, I don't know. I, I think officially the Nasty Boys are still champions, but please don't hold me to that. I don't know. Anyway, we go backstage. We get a uh, promo from Colonel Rock, Parker, and Meng. We then get a promo looking ahead to Bash at the Beach pay-per-view in July. This will literally be held on a beach. See then cuts a promo and says the experience will prove the difference against Meng. We move on to the WCW United States title match Meng with Colonel Rock Parker against Sting. The pair go face to face. Meng then unloads on Sting in the corner. He then goes for a chokehold. Sting attempts to take Meng off his feet, but Parker cuts Sting off and puts his man out, pulls his man out of the ring to regroup on the outside. Sting charges at Meng by the ropes. Meng ducks and Sting falls to the outside. Meng hits a lovely sit-out power bomb. Sting just kicks out. Meng generally starts just having a chat with the referee in the ring. Uh, off the distraction, Parker attacks Sting on the outside. Meng is in complete control at this point. Sting finally gets some parity by simply by jumping back into Meng. Meng then goes to the top and hits the diving headbutt for a two count. Sting twice tries to knock Meng off of his feet. The pair square up. Sting charges at him with a flying clothesline and finally gets him down. Sting hits an atomic drop then sends both of them flying to the outside. Sting turns his attention to Parker, flooring him. Men runs at Sting, but Sting ducks and Meng hits a slice of ring post. They return to the ring. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Meng fights out of it. Sting then hits a splash, then a DDT, and that's enough to win the match. Chris? I really quite like this. I like um, Meng using the techniques that he does. Obviously, we've seen it before in WWF when he was Haku, and he'd, he'd used the sort of the Samoan style short thrusts, bit of the, the kung fu things, nerve holds and stuff, and I like Sting going against the other type of wrestlers. Um, I liked him when he was against Avalanche. I liked him when he was doing against Big Bully, um, Big Bubba, Big Bubba. Even um, he is the sort of versatile worker that can work with these guys, make them look good, sell their stuff, and still get his shit in. And be over as the big baby face. He, he takes the peril spots. It's like with the scorpion, putting him in the death lock and letting Ming power out is great for both of them because, you know, it, it put a sort of a look on Ming that he is proper hard, but it also puts a vulnerability on Sting as well. So it works and it means that, you know, on another day, could Ming get him? It means that you can carry the feud on, and it it keeps it keeps them both in storylines and in matches that will be entertaining. Because I can't see these two putting on a bad match. Tom, yeah, I I quite liked it. I, I didn't love it. Um, I, I thought that um, you know Meng's character is. It, I always looked at it as in Sting fighting a robot. 
Um, and I think maybe that that was intentional because Meng is so systematic and so he wears you down. He he's got his arsenal and it doesn't vary too much. But he was breaking Sting down, and you know, you you could see it coming, and the crowd get invested because everyone loves Sting, and he's over with all the kids, and everyone loves him. So when Sting eventually comes back, you almost sold the sold the match before it's even started just by writing it on paper. Uh, and Sting is is I think behind Hogan the most marketable guy in WCW in the in the locker room. He's got a great look, and he. He, he's he's good in the ring. Um, I, I thought that um, uh, there were some good spots in in, in the match. Uh, there was a nice sit down power bomb that took place. Um, that there was uh, a strange spot with an atomic drop in the corner, which which confused me slightly. And I had to rewatch it a couple of times to actually work out what happened. Where Meng gave Sting an atomic drop and he sort of bounced into the turnbuckle and came back and hit his chin, but the camera was behind him and it, it just it just I don't know if it was just the angle of the camera, but it looked strange. But um. Other than that, yeah, there was a nice jump, jump in DDT in there, and I thought I thought the st- Sting winning to me was a bit too obvious, um, but it does make sense. Um, Is, isn't Sting winning always a bit too obvious? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the curse of Hogan, isn't it? It's that same it's that same thing. You expect him to win, so when he doesn't, it's a surprise. Um, but I don't think that Meng looked badly in this match. I think if it was a non-US title match, you could actually argue to get to give Meng the win. Maybe it would have been through Dirty Deeds, uh, you know, through through. You know, Colonel getting involved or what have you, uh, but no, I thought it, I thought it was thought it was okay. It was, yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, decent match. Um, no, not, not great, but I, I don't know that these two would be capable of having a match that was much better than this. Uh, told a very good story. They didn't put a foot wrong. It it was fine. Yeah, it wasn't. It's it. You know, it wasn't a match on the level of uh, of right or pill by any stretch, but it was it was entertaining enough. They told a good story, um, and I think Chris is right. I think there's certainly scope for a second match. I think that. Meng managing to fight out of the Scorpion Deathlock didn't, you know, it was any nefarious tactics. You know, he, he actually managed to physically use his legs to drive Sting off him, which is significant. And that, if anything, is fuel enough for a rematch. Just say, we'll make it a submission match. Good luck. You know. Yeah, you, uh, that, Bob, that, I thought, I'm sorry, I thought that Heenan did a particularly good job in selling that, that Deathlock, actually, the way he was saying, he, Meng will not give up. You can put yeah. this on him. He said, I, I, I quote, you could put it on him for a year. And he won't give up, and it's the it really sold it because you just believed him when he said it, and and when he kicked out, it really it really pushed that point home. I thought it was good. Yeah, no, um, ticking the box this match not exceptional, but they, they they achieved exactly what they set out to, and I'm I'm looking forward to the rematch. I, I think these two could could have another match on an equally good level. I don't know whether they can surpass it. Um, but yeah, I'd be very surprised if we're, uh, if we're one and done here. Uh, anyway, uh, we cut to the crowd. We show a fan who won ringside tickets for looking like Big Bubba. They were, they had a competition. He didn't, they didn't just say, oh, you look like Big Bubba, come along. Um, he didn't get us all flustered when he sees a rather attractive lady in the front row. Uh, we get a promo from Randy Savage congratulating Sting and Renegade on their title victories. And to the main event, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage. Savage ushers to the backstage amidst the sea of pyro and out comes his dad, Angelo. So he's charged uh, after Flair as the match begins. The intensity and the pace is very high. Flair wears a back body drop followed by a hard clothesline that gets set to the outside. Savage drops an axe handle from the top to the outside. Flair pokes the eye to get a breather, but second charge sees him eat another back body drop on the outside. The action returns to the ring. Savage survives a chop and drives Flair's head off the turnbuckle. Savage hauls Flair off the turnbuckle and flows him across the ring. He then throws him over the top rope and Flair does his flippy thing to the outside. Flair takes off after Angelo, but Savage cuts him off. The distraction aids Flair's cause. 
back in the ring. Flair drops, oh sorry, not back in the ring. Uh, Flair drops Savage's knee onto the guardrail. Then back in the ring, Flair attaches Savage's knee. Back on the outside, Savage slings Flair into the guardrail. Flair then locks in the figure four. Savage finally escapes. Flair goes to the top, but Savage moves. Flair goes for a chop. Savage wears it and fights straight back. Flair goes to the top, but Savage catches him with the right hand on the way down. Savage goes for an elbow drop from the top, goes for a pin, but then pulls Flair up before the three. Savage goes to ringside and grabs the ring bell. The referee gets it off him. Savage then goes after Flair on the outside, but eats the guardrail. Angelo attacks Flair with his cane and after Flair goes after him. Savage tends to his dad, but Flair nails him with the cane back in the ring with the referee distracted. Referee crawls back in the wing, picks, um, counts the three, and Flair wins. After the match, Angelo helps Randy to the back. Tom. Yeah, this was a good main event. I think if you looked at it on paper, um, you, you, you probably knew that it could be good. But my concern is that it wouldn't be because they would be given too much time and the, and the two of them are probably past the heyday of their career. However, with the, the flow of the match and how it went, I think it worked really well. The term grudge match was used and you really got that impression. Um, I thought that there was a, you could tell there was animosity between the two of them. I thought both of them actually get, brought their A games at this stage in their career. Um, I thought, if, you know, considering that Hogan wasn't on the card, these two really made an effort and, and uh, put a shift in to, to deliver. Um, there was a number of, of, of great parts in the match. I, I particularly thought that it was a, a nasty bump when Savage um, jumped from the top rope to do an axe handle to, to Flair on the outside and Flair moved and he hit himself on the guardrail. Actually, I actually thought, wow, that, that probably wasn't meant to be quite so stiff as it was. So that was good. Uh, I did have an issue with, with one part of the match when um, Savage's dad was choking Flair with his cane. And, and, it, and if that's allowed to happen in a match and it's not a DQ, I, I don't really understand the rules of, of pro wrestling. Um, but other than that, it, it, it was a good, edgy match, very aggressive. And uh, the, the, the booking... Um, without going into the details of what we talked about earlier in terms of how it was, uh, how it, how it reached that outcome, I thought it worked. I thought it worked, and uh, inevitably it will lead to a rematch. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a very, very good main event. Yeah, I dare I say the, the the revised finish was probably better than what they had planned. Chris, I really liked it. Um, the fact, the way how Macho started it as well is what really told me the fact that he was calm and collected outside the ring with his dad. You know, he took his time to get in, he made sure that his dad was all sat down, and then as soon as he got in the ring and got in with Flair, there was no wrestling, it was fighting. He he was trying to hurt Flair. You know, it sold the fact that this is a proper grudge, and that they really don't like each other, and they want to fight. Um, Flair cheating to win was the perfect ending for it, because he is the dirtiest player in the game, and he will use any means necessary to get what he wants. It means that, you know, Macho's still going to be chasing him to get his victory and get his revenge on him. And if these two give him 20 minutes like this, I'll watch it again. Yeah, this this is really good. Uh, as, as I said uh, in my notes down at the start, uh, this was like wrestling on fast forward at times. The, the, the pace, particularly at the start, was was incredible, uh, particularly for two guys who, who were in their 40s at this stage um, and, and yeah, big kudos to both the action was excellent, this is um, I would say easily Dostoy's best pay-per-view match of the year, um, but easily the best main event in a long, long time both deserve credit for putting the effort in and yeah, I, I think from a from a kind of logistical standpoint from putting a match together standpoint, they pretty much nailed this, wasn't too long um, Flair winning, Flair had to win, um, Andrew Poffo aided the match um, yeah, two big thumbs up from me. Uh, I don't think there's any more to add. It, it, it's a very good match. It's very watchable. 
Um, and I'm very intrigued to see where they go from here. Uh, anyway, that will, uh, we, we will come to the end of our, our pay-per-view review. Uh, Tom, your overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10. I thought from a great opener and an Porter average middle and then a, a very good ending, um, I think you have to rate a pay-per-view from start to finish and how you feel for the, for the whole thing. And I, it, it, it rounds out a 5 out of 10 for me because I thought the first match was probably an 8 out of 10. Uh, in considering the quality that it was up against, um, but there was some there were some threes, threes and fours in there. So I think anything more uh, anything more than that would be a bit um, uh, generous. So I'm going to stick with my five. I enjoyed it though. Chris, it's been the best WCW show I've seen in a while. Um, it it had a good open and a good finish. The middle, other than the Pitman and the arm wrestling thing, was more bearable than most. WCW pay-per-views have been, you know, it, it's still not a perfect product by any shout means, you know, but it was a decent watch. It didn't feel like a chore to get through it all. So I'll give it six. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with six as well. Um, very, very good start. Very, very good finish. Some decent stuff in the middle, but none of the decent stuff was good enough. None of the, very good stuff was great, and the other stuff was really, really ordinary. Um, so, yeah, there, I, I think this would have been a poor show without the opener. I know the main event was good, but I think we'll be talking about a one-match show. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things where if you skip bits, you can actually find like quite an enjoyable like 90-minute show, um, but there's too much faffing about. Um, but, yeah, not, not bad. And WCW's best paper you're offering in a, in a, in a long, long time. <laughs> Father, I have drank from the goblet of darkness, and now I feel your power. Father, now I know why we can crush the immortal Hulk Hogan and all those Hulkamaniacs. Father, what gift you give me next? I can't wait. Fast, <laughs> master, my son. It's power! 
On June 24th, we get an interview with Hulk Hogan at the beach. Hogan essentially implies that after he's done with Vader, he's going to dispose of him in the ocean. In the Dungeon of Doom segment, Kamala is presented by King Curtis as his weapon for Sullivan to use against Hulkamania. And as a small correction from last month, it was Curtis and not Kamala who featured in the skit at Slamboree. We get an interview with Diamond Dallas Page, the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle. Mean Gene Oakland questions the doll about her upcoming date with Dave Sullivan, but Page cuts Oakland off. DDP still maintains he's the arm wrestling champion and he isn't happy about Dave Sullivan sending the doll gifts. In the main event, Sting and Road Warrior Hawk defeated Harlem Heat. And at this stage in the game, we don't think Harlem Heat are champions, but we can't be sure. One on one with the nature boy Ric Flair in a lifeguard match surrounding that ring. I came out here to face the music. And you took the heating that I took by the nature boy, Singapore style. Great American bash is going to make me shy away from you, Nature Boy. You're out of your mind, yeah. Because we're talking great American bash in the past. And we're talking bash at the beach, yeah. And surf's up. And the Macho Man's going to be sky high. And there's going to be a big shark attack. I know exactly what you're saying, and for the record, in case somebody has been under a rock for the past week, let me point out for the record, last Sunday in Dayton, Ohio, the nature boy, despicably, going after your father for not a first time, but a second time. You don't think that I know that? second in time? A friend of mine, me, Gene Oakland, but you can land me anywhere around here like that. Yeah, bash at the beach will happen. Nature boy, you are going to be the victim, and there's nothing that's going to stop me from taking you all the way out. You can't handle what I'm all about. You understand that bash at the beach? It's going to be the man that's kicked in. Chris, what do you think of the Dungeon of Doom? It seems to be an interesting idea. I, I like the fact that they've done they've done something as a set piece, and it's away from the ring, and sort of they can put some investment into the visual side of it. You know, having having that old guy in his chair shouting "Sullivan, my son," is just awesome TV. Um, Kamala being the first member. I get it, you know, he is a monster. If it's a dungeon of doom, it should be filled with monsters. Let's just hope that, you know, we don't get the fear, free face of fear again, like we did earlier. And he just has, you know, Butcher slash Brutus slash whichever gimmick they want to change him to for that. And Earthquake. Yeah, apparently they're going to get Avalanche. Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, one well, well, slight correction for last month's show, because I, I, you know, I, I know where they're going with this, because Meltzer put it in the observer last month. It was King Curtis, who's the guy who's been in the last month's segment and this one. They introduced Kamal at the end of this month, so I, I got my wires crossed there. Um, but, Tom, I, I, I still don't really know what to think. I mean, it's, it, it's been pieced together now that essentially it's this group that's going to come back to take down Hulkamania like we've never seen that storyline before. Um, uh, I, I, and yes, Chris is right. They've gone for something a bit more week to week, you know, outside the ring storyline, which I quite like. Um, but I don't really know what else to think, Tom. Me neither. 
<laughs> no, honestly, I think that um, that this can go one of two ways. I think that either this is something that would actually make people switch off from WWF, WWF and turn turn the channel and go, actually, what is going on over here? Like this is I've never seen anything like this in my life. Or it could be, as it appears to be, completely ridiculous with no. I mean, it, it's it's hard to actually understand what's being said, rather uh, uh, you know, along with what actually the story that's being painted in front of you. Um, I, I quite liked it though. I, I quite like what they're doing. I like the far out stuff. I like the fact that it gets people talking, and it's it's like it's a water cooler thing, isn't it? Because people will go, did, "Did you watch the WCW show last night? Did you have any idea what was going on at that point? What what on earth was that was that about?" And that's good. Yeah, um, I, I, I think you have to like not try and look at it from a logical standpoint because literally what happens is Kevin Sullivan says, "Yeah, the, the, we've done the whole Cabana thing. I lost," and then Curtis says. Go in the other room. So, so he goes through this like smoke bit into a, a different part of what we'll call a cave, and then he comes back out and he's wearing a red robe with, with yellow trim, which is which is an interesting facet. He's got paint on his forehead, and now he's called Taskmaster. It's it's ridiculous, but it's it's being presented in a way that says, look, you, you're not meant to take this seriously. My only slight concern is it's to do with Hulk Hogan, Chris. If the with Vader thing, is this, you know, they take the title off Hogan, give it to Vader, it's something for Hogan to do, because obviously, you know, Hogan, Hogan, he can go against beasts and monsters, that's been his thing for, you know, over a decade now. Um, it's a simple storyline to keep Hogan going, and you feed him one member of the dungeon a month, or every other month, however his deal works for pay-per-views. And you've got Hogan booked for the rest of the year or even a year. It, I, I wouldn't want it to be for the title, but if Hogan is losing the belt, it's definite way of keeping him relevant and keeping him about and easy, easy meat for him to eat through. I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to put Paul White with this group. I think that's where it's going. Um, but. I, I I look at the members and I'm like, does anyone want to see Hulk Hogan versus the Taskmaster, aka Kevin Sullivan? No. Does anyone want to see Hulk Hogan versus Kamala? No, definitely not in 1995. Does anyone want to see Hulk Hogan versus Avalanche? No, we didn't last year. I look at those matchups and it's like there's not a lot there. And it's like Paul White's big, but that's it. That's that's where the thing ends. Nobody knows if you can wrestle. Apparently, you can throw a drop kick. That'll be fun to see. Um, but yeah. It, Again, it, it, like I, I could tear this apart if I wanted to, but it's clearly not being presented in a way that says, "Bob, you need to tear this apart." So, like, okay, fair enough. And so then it's like, uh, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I, my, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm on the fence with it all, uh, on the basis that I could rip it apart, but I'm not going to, not yet. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see where it ends up. Come here, Dustin. I want everybody to bear with me just for a minute. I want to talk to my son in front of the whole world. When you were born, when you were a baby, when you were born, I went off to seek my fame and fortune. I neglected you. Then later on, when I became world's heavyweight champion, I neglected you. 
Then lately I became this corporate cowboy, if you will, in public with a suit and tie on, and I neglected you. And when it came down to choose a partner, I was off in Hollywood, and I neglected you. Let me tell you something. Buckhouse Buck, let me tell you, Colonel Parker, they're all nothing but chicken thieves. That's all they are, brother. Let me tell you something else. Terry Funk is nothing but a low-life, watermelon thief, egg-sucking dog. And let me tell you something about Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson, my son, offered up his innocence and you paid him back in scorn. The hell with you, Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson has never been nothing but a walk behind her. And when you walk behind and you're not a leader, then the view never changes, baby. The view never changes, baby. The view never changes. You have the ability to be the world's heavyweight wrestling champion. There is not a greater athlete at your age in this sport. But I, I want to ask your favor. I want to ask your favor in front of in front of God in the whole world. I know that the Clash of Champions on August the 24th, you put your name on the dotted line. I don't want you to look for another partner. I don't want you to go and find another man. I don't want you to go out and get on your knees and bag another scum-sucking pig to be your partner. I'm asking you if you can carry this old out of shape, old bent out, old spindly legged man. I want to be your partner. I don't need no handshake because out there right now tonight there's there's people with their brothers and their sisters and their wives. They are blood. The Kennedys were blood. The Earths were blood. The roads are blood. I don't need a handshake. What I need now from you is just a hug and a kiss to seal the deal, baby. As you've heard there, and as you've heard at the start of the show, we, we now come out of uh, out of 20 years ago, Mo, to uh, discuss the unfortunate passing of uh, uh, of Dusty Rose. We've heard, you know, uh, at the top of the show, probably his most famous promo, um, the, the the hard times bit from I think Chris 85. Is that right? Yeah, it's the lead into Starcade 85. Him and Flair when he finally ends Flair's year-long run as the champion. Uh, and then the, the promo we've just heard is a genuinely, I think, a promo that stands up with anything I've seen Dusty Rhodes do before or since, which is his promo from I think it's last August, uh, where his son Dusty, uh, Dustin, sorry, is looking for a, a tag team partner, and obviously you'll, you'll have heard how that went down in the promo. Um, Chris, I, I'll come to you first, and we, we kind of do these things, you know, when a when a pertinent moment comes. I think we did it with uh, with Warrior and with, uh, with with Mabel last year. Um, but Dusty, a, a, a genuine legend of the industry and of his time, and 
Well, not that it really matters, but to, to throw back to earlier in the show, we talk about the nasty boys who, who, who made the most out of what they had. You want to talk about a guy who got a long way off. Admittedly, a lot of charisma, but a guy that in different hands wouldn't have got anywhere given his size. Uh, Dusty has uh, uh, can be proud of the career he had. He did everything you'd ever expect someone to do with what he had and made it better than he could ever be expected to. Um, so like the first time I ever saw Dusty was WWF Dusty. So seeing him in the polka dots and not knowing everything beforehand, because obviously being a, a child in England, we didn't get NWA. We got WWF, you know, and seeing that and going, this guy is awesome, yet he's dressed in polka dots. Then going back from now and seeing everything he did beforehand and seeing how much of a career, if you're that could be career suicide, that could have killed him. You know, it took this serious character that he was in NWA with, you know, being the common man, being the person fighting for what was right, you know, going against all of this, but being very serious at the same time into this joke character in polka dots and put with sapphire and dancing it, it could have you know he could have just said no I'm not doing this and this is all too much it's just too stupid and have nothing of it but the, the, the man that he was he put everything into it and made it work and it, it's that sort of work ethic that he had that has to be sort of looked at as, as a level that people should always try and achieve and strive for. Chris, help me out with the the, the polka dot thing in, in the WWF, because it, it's not a particular piece of wrestling history I have a great deal of knowledge of. What was all that about? Because like, he was in WCW and was being like, amazing. What, what, was it literally they signed him and thought, screw it, we're going to bury him, or screw it, we're just going to mishandle him, or did they just not get it? The issue was, just before Dusty left NWA, um, was around the time of Turner coming in and all of the sort of, the, the smaller ones started to close down. Call, um, the head of the NWA at the time wasn't happy with Dusty's booking style, um, basically was forcing him out. So, Obviously, Vince offered him a job because he was losing his job in NWA. And when he got there, Vince was, because it's funny for him, Vince to do what he likes to do, he went, this is your character. Right. Go with it. Because it's like the reason Virgil is called Virgil was a rib on Dusty because Dusty's yeah. real name is Virgil. You know, it, there's there's all this thing that's just Vince's sense of humour and how Vince likes to do things. He just thought, yeah. Well, you think you're all this. This is what I want you to do. That's never, never like underestimate you. Vincent Mann's want to be right or to have a laugh more than to make money. And I think in, you know, there, there, there are countless examples across history, but I, I think Dusty Rhodes is, is right near the top in terms of someone who just put him on top. Like, you know, like there's no game here. Just put him on top and he'll make money. Vince still does it to this day. Daniel 20, Bryan. 20 years later. Daniel Bryan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know he's injured now, and I know all that went with it, but it's like, look, you, you, you believe that Daniel Bryan 
is too small and cannot connect with the crowd, and you'd rather spend your time proving yourself right than you would to make money. I know they kind of, you know, they, they, they did put me in the main event of WrestleMania and all that. It's weird talking modern day wrestling. I know they put me in the modern day, uh, in the main event of WrestleMania and all that, but it's like, yeah, Vince McMahon would rather prove himself right than he would make money with Daniel Bryan. And I think Dusty, Dusty Rose, from what I know of that era, it just seems like that was the same thing of it. And, and particularly like, just make money. Like, I, I don't understand. There's so many times where it's like, there are some guys where it's like, okay, you know, you could have got more out of him, fair enough. But sometimes it really feels like Vince McMahon works really, really hard to either have a laugh or to prove a point more than he would rather make money, which to me doesn't make much sense. And I think Dusty Chris is a classic example of that. It, it's Vince's thing of, you will like who I want you to like. You will enjoy what I tell you to enjoy. This is my house and you will do as you're told. Uh, I, and it's the wrong time to say this. And it's in a little bit of bad taste. But is it not a bit weird that, like, you know, WWE are hating Dusty Rhodes quite rightly as the legend that he is? And it's like, but yeah, but you didn't spot this 25 years ago. Like, you know, I know it's, I know it's different people, different era, all that kind of thing. But it's like, he was a legend with, with the other guys. You got him and you didn't do anything with him. I know it's not, it's not the time or the place to discuss it, but I think it's a, it's a fair observation nonetheless. Uh, Tom, your kind of, you know, thoughts, memories, favorite moments of, uh, of Dusty, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the news really, really shocked me actually last week. Um, I, I think that this was one that when Warrior passed, that was, you know, widespread news. Everyone knew about it and, and it was, it amazed me how many people came up to me and said, Oh, you're a wrestling fan, aren't you? Warrior died this week. And I didn't get that with, with, um, Dusty. And I think the reason being this, this was one for the, for the wrestling fans. I think for the long-term wrestling fans to have heard this news and to, to have uh, read the story of, um, of, of what happened, it, it really hit home, and I, I think that you know I agree with a number of the points you guys made in that his career was uh, probably not celebrated enough when it happened. But it's traditional WWF and now WWE format to celebrate someone uh, when, it, when it's almost too late when to, to celebrate them. In my opinion, um, Randy Savage being another prime example and probably the best example of that. Um, but I think that the, the tribute that they did on on, uh, on WWE programming was, was very good. I think um, that promo is just it's just a, a great example. The one that was on earlier, it's just a great example of how you engage with an audience. And if it was a an NXT or any even outside of NXT Pro Wrestling 101 school book on how do you engage with an audience in a promo and what levels do you go out? You start at a two, you build to a ten, and then you come down to a five. It's classic, classic stuff. Um, and it just showed, as you said, Bob, that he took everything he had uh, and and just put it in people's living rooms. And I think it's a real, real loss. You know, that it, he had a great career from his stuff in his, you know, in, from stuff in the NWA uh, territories to the Jim Crockett stuff, and also his his stuff in WWF. I, I, you know, as, as you guys alluded to, the polka dots were ridiculous, and it, and it was a bit of comedy, but it never came across as being crass or or, or crap because Dusty, he, he was such a character. And he, he always made it entertaining. There's, there's no way that you could you could dislike him. You might think, oh, that's a bit silly, but the way he presented it was so entertaining. And um, you know, I would like to think that his legacy will live on with with his with his uh, sons. But um, that's a, that's a different story. I mean, obviously, Dustin's reaching the end, the end of his career, but I've still got hope for Cody. But uh, no, really sad news, and he'll be he'll be greatly missed. Yeah, I think, I think on the legacy uh, side, it's not just 
obviously Dusty and uh, Cody and Dustin, but all the the NXT kids that are there now, every single sure, person sure. that's in NXT right now has sat under that learning tree of Dusty. Um, from Bray Wyatt to Bo Dallas to Hideo, Sammy, Owens, all of that lot of whether it be a few months to a couple of years have been in under him and he t- he t- he taught them like they were his kids. He would have passed on all the knowledge into them and all the time he was there telling them to look into themselves to then find what it is about them they wanted to ex- sort of expose. Because there's a sort of thing about that Bray Wyatt, um, he helped Bray come up with that character. Yeah. But how he did it wasn't go, this is what the character I want you to do, go and do it. He sort of grew the seed in him and then let Bray flourish it to how he wanted it, how he wanted it to be seen. So Bray owns it because it is all of Bray. But because of the learning Dusty had given him is how he's got to that point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I mean, the, the point I, I was sort of making, I, to, I totally agree with you in the, in, the, in the mark that he made with NXT, and that will go on and live on in the, in, in the business for years. But I think it was more of a, a you know, a family um, thing that I was I, I was alluding to, because you know, everybody everybody that knows anything about um, wrestling history from the last thirty years, and as you guys talked about, Vince made the decision to try and present Dusty in a certain way, and I think that did hold him back from from really reaching the top and being uh, believable and credible as, as that that main event guy. And I would just really like to see the the past being torched to his to his sons, just from because as I say that NXT is, I mean, the influence is already there. It's a guy that he he nurtured and, and and you know really pushed to, to be the person he is. He's now the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, and then that's that's he's he's credible. You know, the part that's part of his doing. Um, I, I, I'm reluctant with the whole let's push Cody Rhodes because his dad's dead. No, I don't um, mean now. No, I know yeah, what I mean. We've done that one with Ray and. Ray grates on me just because his best mate died. Yeah. There was no need to be pushing Ray. Uh, and plus, I, well, the, again, not the time or the place. I actually think Cody Rhodes is overrated by a lot of people as well. He's good, but I don't think he's he's anything special. I don't think he's anything... I don't, I don't think he's a guy that should be on top. I think they could make... Again, they could make more out of him, but I don't, I don't, I don't think they're leaving a ton on the table... Uh, him, but anyway, not the time or the place particularly. Um, but Chris, what, one more thing. I, I guess we, we we have to pay homage as well to the guy that bought us. Like he's like he's called Makalele. He bought us a finish that is is so renowned to him. He has a finish named after him. He the dusty finish. Like good good luck to anyone who got the cool Makalele reference across the pond, by the way. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, talk about the dusty finish because because that that in many ways is if we're going to talk about his legacy, like him as an NWA World Heavyweight Champion isn't necessarily like top of the list that your average wrestling fan would think they think NXT and they think Dusty Finish the Dusty Finish the the great way of getting out of a match and everyone looking good out of it cheating to win you know having dodgy swerves They, they were all sort of keys to part of the Dusty Finish um it, it was a staple for so, so many years in the NWA and then what you'll get for many years still to come in WCW when he's booking it. Um, 
blatant sort of it would always be blatant cheating but done in a way that they could get away with it it's like we saw it at the last pay-per-view with the Bella twins you know coming out doing the switcheroo and pulling out the the tissue and stuff going I'm not the I'm not the sister of the boo-boo blonde look I've, I've got I've got pussy tattoos that's not me and then having the other one cheat to win it's it's this podcast it's has taken stupid. a weird turn ladies and gentlemen <laughs> I tell you, baby, I tell you, we've taken a dusty route. (laughs) It's just stupidity, but it works in the concept of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things. It was really good, and then it just got done to, you know, infinity, didn't it? It kind of just got run into the ground. It's like, oh, we've got this this cop-out. We need a cop-out here, cop-out there, cop-out next month, all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. Like the first time they really ever did it, uh, it, it would have done spectacularly well. And ever since then, we've just spent years and years devaluing it. I think it's 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 probably got more equity now than it had maybe I don't know ten years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, go go back to '93. Go back. There's a pay per view genuinely where six of the first seven matches ended with a, a dusty finish. That's a phenomenal run. It's, it's fantastic. Um, uh, Tom, any any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I, I just, um, I, I would echo what, what you guys said. I think his, um, the, the problem with, with Dusty, and, and I think we, he, he'll be one of those guys that, uh, as I say, wrestling fans will remember for a long time, but he'll get quickly forgotten in the, in the WWE world because the impact that he had was beneath the surface. Um, but I think that he, he made a big enough impact for, for those, uh, who have got the inclination to care, um, will, will remember him for a long time. I wonder whether, you know, the, the, the time that Vince McMahon moves on, because we know Triple H and Dusty Rhodes are very close, certainly with, with the NXT stuff. I think you are right at the moment, Tom, but I think when Triple H eventually takes over, I th- or, or, or Jean-Paul Levesque, as I maybe should call him at the moment, uh, or, no, actually, that's Helmsley, that's true. Um, I think when Triple H finally does take over, I think that there's going to be a more kind of an angle in history as well, and given how close they were, uh, I, I, I think his legacy will be salvaged just because there'll be someone new in charge. But you're right, he, because Vince McMahon is very reluctant in the past to put a massive spotlight on history that isn't WWF history. Don't, don't get it wrong, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll bring in Mil Mascaris for a Hall of Fame induction, but it's not like they're celebrating Mil Mascaris on the network. Um, and equally, I think if, you know, you, you look at Dusty Rose's WWF in-ring career is what what opportunity lost essentially even though you know his you know his big drawing run was prior to that um and, and so the fact that he's a guy who oh we missed the boat with him there's a bit of a less of a uh a want to uh to spotlight him but anyway that will uh wrap up this month's show we're out of 20 years ago mode now but i'd like to thank firstly tom martin thank you bob uh tom you're on twitter i am on twitter it's mark out martin that's m-a-r-t-y-n yeah, Martin with a Y. Uh, thank you, thank you for joining us, Tom. As, uh, as, as I hope you enjoyed your uh, first foray into the uh, world of 20 years ago. I did. I've just come back out of the time machine and I'm pulling the cobwebs off. Yes, yes, and you're uh, you're, you're you're waiting to uh, tuck into a cold pizza, I think as well. We're all hungry. It's half nine. I've eaten since lunchtime. Uh, and Chris Lacey, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Bob. Uh, Chris, we we alluded to it earlier, but uh, tell people uh, where they can find your Super Rules podcast. You can find Super Rules at... Uh, and tell them what it is. Super Rules is uh, my 
little pet project of going through WCW from start to finish. Um, we are nearly out of the 80s. We are the last sort of three or four shows of 89 left. And at the timing at the moment looks like by the first anniversary we will have finished the 80s and starting the 90s and the joy of <laughs> Battle Bowls and Chamber oh. of Horrors and... It's oh, going to get oh. worse or it gets better, gents. <laughs> All the fun. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can leave that as a spoiler alert, but but yes. Um, no, you did pretty well there. Also, I guess by the time you get to the 90s, you'll get many more shows to review. Have we got any Clash of the Champions yet? Have we got that far? We, uh, we've just posted Clash 8. Right. Um, so there's there's another sort of 20 of them left to go because they sort of crack on for a while um, this was like the first year where we pretty much had a solid year of at least something every month I mean it's like two months when there's not and it's sort of it's taken a bit of a hit in the speed we were going through the years um, so sort that, of, that's a good thing you don't, want to, you don't want to rattle through 20 years in you know 18 months and we'll, oh, we'll finish now yeah uh, but yeah, no. So we're, we're looking forward to getting to to the end of the eighties and into the nineties and see what more joy we get bring brought by uh, some of the random booking decisions. Oh yeah, WCW. Um, you can find us on the iTunes by uh, searching Super Rules. Uh, we are on the Twitter at Super Rules and on Facebook, search Super Rules. And so, Chris, Chris you on Twitter. Uh, my personal Twitter is Lacey555666, where I'll spout about football transfers all summer. Yes, well, uh, uh, as Dale quite rightly pointed out on Twitter, uh, you were correct in your... Pre- you did predict Norwich to go up, didn't you, I think? I did put Norwich to go up, but I said it was going to be a penalties against Middlesbrough. I didn't think we'd do it in normal time. Ah, uh, so that's even better. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I fear for you in the, in the Premier League next year, but the, the, that kind of counts comes to the territory getting promoted. But... Um, and you can, uh, yes, so I've got to do my own plugging, I suppose. Uh, yes, uh, I, I've been Bob Bamba. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, Wrestling20YRS.com is the website. Facebook.com, Paul slash Wrestling20YRS on there. We have an email newsletter. You can find uh, links to that on the website. Uh, we're on iTunes, we're on RSS to get all your feeds. Uh, I think that's about all the plugging. Part two uh, is WWF. We've got King of the Ring. I haven't watched it yet, um, but I get the feeling that's going to be a fun show to review when we do it. Uh, and volume three is ECW, all, all things ECW there. But anyway, I've been Bob Bamber. Thanks to Chris Lacey. Thanks to Tom Martin. This has been volume one of the June 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>